Commissioner Alexander? Here. Commissioner Fisher? Here. Commissioner Lamb? Commissioner Matomedy? Here. Commissioner Sanchez, Vice President Wiseman Ward? Here. President Bogus? Here. Thank you. Thank you. Um, <clears throat> a quick announcement about public comment. Uh, this evening, um, as our new board format, all of the public comment will happen um, in the earlier part of the meeting versus after each of the individual items. Uh, that goes for both public comment on agenda items as well as public comment on agenda items. Uh, we will note when that will happen in the agenda. Uh, at this time, we'll move to item B, which is our closed session. Uh, we'll see if there are any speaker cards for the items are listed for closed session. There are none in person. Are there any virtual hands who want to provide a public comment on our closed session items? Please raise your hand for our virtual participants if you care to give a public comment on any of the closed session items. Seeing no hands raised. Okay, I now recess this meeting at 5.02 as we go to closed session. TV, San Francisco Government Television.
SFGovTV, San Francisco Government Television.
SFGovTV, San Francisco Government Television.
SFGovTV, San Francisco Government Television. SFGovTV, San Francisco Government Television.
SFGovTV, San Francisco Government Television.
6.40 uh, p.m. Uh, and we will start with a vote on um, student expulsion matters, um, C1. Uh, I move approval of the stipulated expulsion agreement of one middle school student, matter number 2023-2024, number five from the district for the remainder of the fall 2023 semester and suspended enforcement for the spring 2024 semester. Can I have a second? Second. If we could have a roll call vote, please. Thank you. Commissioner Alexander? Yes. Commissioner Fisher? Yes. Commissioner Lamb? Yes. Commissioner Matamidi? Yes. Commissioner Sanchez, Vice President Wiseman Ward? Yes. President Bogus? Yes. Success. Thank you. Uh, and now I will continue uh, with the report from closed session. Um, in three matters of anticipated litigation, the board voted by a vote of six yeses, uh, with one commissioner absent, Commissioner Sanchez, uh, gives direction to the general counsel. In the matter of student CC versus SFUSD, OAH case number 2023-060826. The board, by a vote of six yeses, one absence, Commissioner Sanchez, gives the authority of the district to pay up to the stipulated amount. In the matter of student SC versus SFUSD, OAH case number 2023-07-0650, the board, by a vote of six yeses, one absence, Commissioner Sanchez, gives the authority of the district to pay up to the stipulated amount. In the matter of student CBC versus SFUSD, OAH case number 2023-080682, the board, by a vote of six yeses, one absence, Commissioner Sanchez, gives the authority of the district to pay up to the stipulated amount. On one matter of public employee discipline, dismissal, release, the board by a vote of six yeses, one absence, approves a, res a resignation agreement and release in an employee discipline matter. And this concludes the readout from closed session. So next we'll go to item D, our opening items, and start with our land acknowledgement. We, the San Francisco Board of Education, acknowledge that we are on the unceded ancestral homeland of the Ramatushaloni, who are the original inhabitants of the San Francisco Peninsula. As the indigenous stewards of this land and in accordance with their traditions, the Ramatushaloni have never ceded, lost, nor forgotten their responsibility as the caretakers of this place, as well as for all people who reside in their traditional territory. As guests, we recognize that we benefit from living and working on their traditional homeland. We wish to pay our respects by acknowledging the ancestors, elders, and relatives of the Ramatush community and by affirming their sovereign rights as First Peoples. 
And with that, we will go to the approval of board minutes for the regular meeting of September 12, 2023, as well as the special workshop meeting of September 26, 2023, and the special meeting of August 29th, 2023. Uh, can I have a motion and a second on the minutes? So moved. Second. Thank you, commissioners. Uh, any corrections from commissioners? Okay, can we have a roll call vote, Mr. Steele? Thank you. Student Delegate Simpson? Here. It's a, it's a yes or no vote on the minutes? Yes. Yes, thank you. Student Delegate Toe? Yes. Thank you. Commissioner Alexander? Yes. Commissioner Fisher? Yes. Commissioner Lamb? Yes. Commissioner Matamidi? Yes. Commissioner Sanchez, Vice President Wiseman Ward? Yes. Uh, President Bogus? Yes. Success. Thank you. Uh, and with that, we'll move forward in our agenda. I think I just want to highlight for the public um, that for this meeting, as well as our normal board meetings, our public comment will happen earlier in the meeting. I believe it is listed under item um, G today. Uh, so that'll be public comment on agenda items as well as non-agenda items. Also want to highlight that today we have a public hearing uh, listed under item J uh, and that will have its own public comment um, for the hearing separate from the other public comment we have earlier on the other items. And so just wanted to note that for folks uh, as it's a little bit different from how we've done things in past years. Um, and with that, I believe we will transition into item D5, which is the superintendent Superintendent's report, and I will pass it to Superintendent Wayne. Uh, thank you, President Bogus. Good evening, everyone. Um, and it's October, and a lot happens in October, including, if you go to the next slide, our uh, pre-K to 12 enrollment fair. Um, so on Saturday, October 21st, from 10 to 2, we will have our enrollment fair at O'Connell High School. And during the enrollment fair, families will be able to meet with principals, teachers, parents, and students from every school in SFUSD. There will be workshops on different topics. So we'll provide information about how to apply to high school, our special education programs, and applying to our transitional kindergarten and kindergarten programs for new families to SFUSD. Um, we also have there um, representatives from city agencies and community organizations. And so, you know, what's really neat about San Francisco is the variety of schools that we have. And we know we have a public school for every child here in the city. So the enrollment fair is a great way for families to, in San Francisco to get to know uh, um, about all of our schools and the variety of programs we offered. Uh, we also hold workshops in November for families who are not able to attend the enrollment fair. And so you just need to go to... Um, sfusd.edu uh, backslash enroll and you can get all that information about our fair as well as the follow-up workshops. Uh, yeah, I get to um, have, if you go to the next slide, there's a lot of opportunities to celebrate the work that happens in our schools uh, each month and Last month, got to recognize the work we've done as a district um, towards supporting climate solutions for our city, but really for um, you know, our state and our nation. So SFUSD schools were the first two stops on the 2023 Climate Solutions Green Strides Tour. 
which visited schools and districts in Northern and Central California uh, from September 19th to September 21st to highlight the innovative practices of honorees of the U.S. Department of Education Green Ribbon Schools. So the district was named a Green Ribbon uh, School District in 2016, and so they wanted to come back and highlight the work uh, that districts like San Francisco have done. So we uh, started off at AP Giannini uh, at the middle school, and we launched the event. Um, we had, uh, in addition to myself there, President Bogus and Commissioner Fishers were there, and we had representatives from the U.S. Department of Education and the California Department of Education. And we were in AP Giannini's um, green schoolyard, their, their education garden, and um, uh, while the speakers were engaging, I will say the chickens stole the show and got everybody's uh, attention. Uh, but then we also had a chance to hear from the students about their work uh, in, in coming up with um, green solutions and climate solutions. So uh, we're really proud of the work we've done since 2010. The district has decreased water use by 35% in partnership with the Public Utilities Commission. We've also installed techno solar technology on eight schools. Um, another three schools are zero net emission ready. And we reallocated $14 million of our last bond to improve schoolyards and expand outdoor learning classrooms at almost 60 schools. So a lot to be proud of of our work here in the district. And then on the next slide, I want to express our pride and appreciation in our school lunch programs and for our school lunch workers. Uh, this week is National School Lunch Week, and we serve over 35,000 meals every day. Um, so, the, we, um, so the Student Nutrition Services within San Francisco Unified School District runs the largest public school a public food service operation in San Francisco, serving more than 35,000 breakfast, lunch, and supper meals daily. We have 220 extraordinary dining staff members across 125 schools who nourish a diverse population of 51,000 students who collectively speak more than 44 languages. And school meals are available at no cost uh, to students. And I just want to recognize the work we've done as a district to make those school meals not just nutritious, but also desirable for our students. And particularly in the kitchens where we've been able to remodel like some of our middle school kitchens, I hear from the kids how that's transformed lunch. And that's the work that's being done um, in the district and by our staff who serve the lunch. So I know some of them are here tonight. Let's recognize our school uh, nutrition services staff and the work that they do. Uh, and then there's, um, just if you go to the last slide, uh, you've heard us talk at these board meetings about a lot of big decisions that we need to make over the next uh, year. And our commitment to ensuring that we're engaging with our community in helping uh, make those decisions. And so just here are different opportunities for engagement. We send these out through our family announcement bulletin. So if you haven't signed up for it, make sure to sign up for our FAB. Um, and so uh, right now we, are, we actually are just starting our Student Success Fund Advisory Committee, our Academic Calendar Engagement Committee, our Math Policy Committee, and a District Advisory Committee on Staffing, Budget, and Facilities. So uh, those are either have been launched or will be launching really, really soon. Um, and then even if you can't participate in a community, there's other ways where you can share your feedback. So look for those town halls and surveys to be able to uh, share information with us. And that concludes my report. Thank you, Superintendent, for your update. And now we'll go to the student delegates. 
Hi, everyone. So just yesterday, we had our Student Advisory Council um, annual retreat. And there, we set a lot of goals for what we want to accomplish this year. And we're very excited to work towards these goals. But while we had a couple full council meetings, we're still looking for more representation across our school district. So we're still looking for representatives from June Jordan Civic Center, SF International, and Independence High School. If you are a student or parent of a student attending these schools and are interested in joining the SAC, please email our advisor, Mary Kate, at rossym at sfusd.edu. We will also be attending the, the school site council summit on Saturday, and we hope to see many of you there. Thank you so much, student delegates. Uh, and with that, we will transition to item E1, which is an update on our payroll state of emergency from uh, Superintendent Wade. Uh, thank you again. And it's been almost a year since we declared our payroll state of emergency, uh, but I committed to providing updates at every regular Board of Education meeting uh, and continue to do so because we have not reached stabilization yet. Uh, we have made progress, as I've shared in previous meetings, uh, but uh, we're at a point where there's still more work to be done uh, to be able to have the um, systems that our employees deserve. And so if you go to the first slide, um, the next slide, you can see that the, uh, this shows since declaring the state of emergency, um, how we have done with uh, addressing the tickets that we received. And we did make a big um, in, uh, a dent in all those tickets and started to resolve more tickets than we were receiving. But that stopped as we got towards the end of last school year and the beginning of this year. And so I shared uh, last month how we're see that we've flatlined around 3,000 up to 3,500 and recognized that we were dealing with more complex cases and um, also needed to look at, at how we're addressing them to be able to have fewer issues remain open and unresolved. Um, and so if you go to the next slide, this shows the progress since that last board meeting, which was on September 12th, of being able to get the tickets back down to around 2,500. And we were able to do that. First, we did receive a lot of tickets around in the beginning of the year. Um, overall, the system, we now have it configured where if you're an employee here, you will get paid. But we've noticed whenever there's a change in status, that leads to uh, is what's most often right now leading to issues. And so we had a lot of those at the beginning of the year. We also increased coordination with our functional teams, meaning these are like the issues that are dealt by the case management team, sometimes though they really need to be dealt by human resources or payroll, and so we've been working with them to address these issues while still doing their ongoing work and resolving the system problems. And then also we have been able to resolve root causes, which helps um, address systemic issues, which means that we won't get, continue to get tickets on them, such as the Prop A dues and how that was addressed. Um, so while there's progress, I shared with you at the last update, and if you go to the next slide, that when we talk about having a fully stable and functioning um, payroll system, that this is what it would entail, that we would uh, you know, have, not have many errors and be able to address issues um, quickly and that we're fully staffed and have limited the external support. And right now we're not on target to have that in place by the 23rd and uh, by the end of this school year. And so if you get to the next slide, I shared what we really need to be looking at 
is we want an air-free, what I call enterprise resource planning system. So these are ERPs um, that can be successfully implemented and sustained by the district. And so I want to share a little bit more about what that means and the decisions we need to make in the next month um, to determine how we're going to proceed. So if you go to the next slide. Um, Dr. Uh, Clark, our business services lead, who's really has helped with our um, efforts to stabilize uh, and has worked with these types of systems a lot, can speak to where are we currently and where do we need to go. Good afternoon. Uh, thank you, Dr. Wayne. Um, so this slide really shows the different uh, products that are in the district. We see the first two slides. The first two sections related to human resources and payroll, which is the SAP Empower system. However, one critical component of the system is still on PeopleSoft. That's the budgeting and accounting component. Um, when you have a system that's broken out this way, there are a lot of interfaces that need to happen. So we have multiple different interfaces that are happening within the SAP system itself between human resources and payroll. And then once that, that interface happens, we have to have an additional interface to make sure that the information is rolling over to PeopleSoft so that we can have the data available for budgeting and accounting purposes. And then the last piece is procurement, which is still a component of PeopleSoft, but an additional uh, software, which is GoFast. So that, that's a lot of interfaces that need to happen and connect. I think it's safe to say that when the SAP product was brought into the district, a little bit more planning probably could have been done initially to understand how all of these interfaces would happen successfully and succinctly. Um, if the decision is made to move forward with um, another EAP product, my recommendation to Dr. Wayne has been to look at all of these different systems to identify a, a product that where we would be able to put everything on one, one platform um, to handle human resources, payroll, budget, accounting, as well as procurement. And there are K-12 systems that can do that. I think at this point the, 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 the goal is to figure out which one works best for San Francisco and then, you know, looking at an implementation timeline and the conditions that would need to be in place in order for it to be successful. While we make sure that we learn, um, reflect on the past, learn from those uh, challenges that we may have faced so that we don't move forward, so that we don't have the same things repeat again. Thank you. And if you go to the next slide, um, so well, what's next? So we've been exploring those options. Dr. Clark has been meeting with county offices of education to explore how they might support an ERP implementation. And that is one of the challenges we face, that um, of the, the 990 other districts in the state that aren't a district and county, have a county office that provides oversight and support. And many districts use the same um, ERP that a county office uses. So for example, in Alameda County now, every single district is on the same system as the county. And the county helped lead that effort and can support that effort. We don't have that. So as a former county associate superintendent of business, Dr. Clark is helping us connect with county offices to see how they might support us. Also, we're meeting, provide, meeting with providers of what she described turnkey and should say tested K-12 uh, ERP systems. So, you know, you know, SAP is works in a ton of different industries um, and that's, you know, but, but there are things unique to K-12 that we want to make sure our system supports us. Now, we're continuing to stabilize SAP because we're working with this for a while and so SAP has assigned additional support and we will need to extend some of the contractor support for SAP. Okay, but so 
the good thing around that is do appreciate that the Board of Education, working with our CD experts, had foresight, have already earmarked funds for a full ERP implementation. Because the, our CD experts said, uh, gave the same advice as Dr. Clark, said you need to update your old budget and accounting system and they should really be on one system. So when the board uh, heard that feedback, set aside time, uh, set aside funding for that, that can also go to support the ongoing stabilization. So um, hopefully this gives a picture of where we're going. We'll be able to come back with more firm uh, timeline and decisions uh, by the next uh, update. But um, we really need a system that is going to meet our needs and that works seamlessly together. So thank you for the uh, opportunity to share. And that concludes our report. Thank you, Superintendent. Is that going to be made available through a board docs? Uh, yes, it's uploaded now. Thank you. Thank you. Okay, uh, with that, we will go to item F, which is advisory committee reports and appointments. And we have Julia, Mar Julia Martin, the ombudsman's person presenting of the appointments. Thank you. Hello, Commissioner, President Bogus. Nice to see you, Superintendent Wayne. Um, Tonight will just be a very brief presentation. Um, we have, um, I'm here tonight as your liaison to the Community Advisory Committee for Special Education. Tonight we are asking the Board of Education to confirm the appointment of five members to the Community Advisory Committee for Special Education. The members recommended for appointment are Daniela Teitelbaum, Melanie Bowsen, Roxana Lopez, Tina Produces, and Tara Sessa. Um, as designated by resolution number 639A7 and the CEC bylaws, the CEC shall have a membership of at least 11 and not more than 25 members. The CEC currently has nine members in their first year of a two-year term and nine members in their second year of a two-year term, plus one liaison myself. If these appointments are confirmed, 19 seats on the CAC will be filled, leaving open up to six seats. The nominees named above were interviewed and approved for appointment by active members of the CAC per our bylaws and were ratified by the CAC board for confirmation through our approval process. The CAC board remains committed to having a membership base that is representative of all families in the district and actively works to recruit and retain members from all communities. CAC membership has voluntarily provided demographic information in this report. Keep in mind all information shared for the membership is for the group as a whole as we do not share individual membership information in order to protect the privacy rights of individuals with disabilities. Thank you. Thank you for that. Uh, and I think we will see if there are any questions or comments from commissioners. Do we need a motion in a second before we do that? So moved enthusiastically. Second. Okay, any questions or comments from commissioners before we vote? Commissioner Fisher. Of course. Uh, so just as a fellow CAC member, I just wanted to say thank you to all of you who are stepping up. Um, it's a lot of work at uh, very little pay, but um, 
your feedback is is critically important and thank you and it's also a very good place to find community so um, I hope you enjoy the ride if we could have a roll call vote please thank you on the on the Community Advisory Council for Special Education Appointments, um, Commission, uh, Student Delegate Simpson? Yes. Thank you. Student Delegate Tell? Yes. Commissioner Alexander? Yes. President Bogus? Yes. Commissioner Fisher? Yes. Commissioner Lamb? Yes. Commissioner Matomedy? Yes. Commissioner Sanchez? Vice President Wiseman Ward? Yes. Success. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, and with that, we will go to item G, which is a public comment. Um, just, I think, to highlight for folks, if you would like to provide public comment, you need to turn in a speaker card. This is the last opportunity for you to do that. Um, and with our normal tradition, we are going to ask for student speakers before um, non-student speakers. Um, so I think just to be made aware of that as we uh, transition into public comment. Um, and we'll be giving um, speakers one minute um, to speak. Uh, and just also to make the public aware that we do have um, a policy of giving some additional time to um, union leadership during public comment. Um, so just be aware that, they, that they, some folks might have a little bit more time um, in that regard. Uh, and so I think with that, why don't we start the process of calling um, in-person public comment for non-agenda items for students? I did not receive any speaker cards for students, but if there are any here, you can line up at this time. Seeing none, President Bogus. Okay. Um, maybe let's also see if we could put the call out for our virtual participants, see if there's any students um, who are ready to participate virtually. For our virtual uh, participants. This is for our virtual participants. This is a time for students to share their public comment. If they would like to do so now, um, please raise your hand. Can we also have that repeated in Spanish and Chinese? This is a time for students to give their virtual public comments. <laughs> Okay. I am seeing two hands raised. I do just want to remind folks who are our virtual participants that this is a time for students to speak. So if you are not a student, um, we will ask you to pause until it's your time to speak. Okay. Seeing two hands raised. Aaron? 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 Star Child? Uh, oh, yes, sorry. This is a time for students. I'm a student of life, but I'm not a student of the SFUSD, so if you want me to wait, then I will wait. Okay. Thank you for that. I think, do we have the other person on? If not, we'll go to in person public comment. 
Thank you. So we're going to start with um, non-agenda items. I'm going to call you up in, in groups of five. So please line up at the podium and I'll have one minute to speak each. <clears throat> Rex Ridgeway. I'm sorry, I'm having a hard time reading this. Keo Ch Chakaweta. Apologize. Tracy Brieger. Nick Chandler. Actually, we'll wait for that. You guys go ahead. Thank you. <laughs> well, good evening. Uh, Rex Ridgeway, for the record. Uh, more of an observation of disappointment. Next month, uh, Commissioner, you're going to be um, giving uh, information from the high school task force. What my disappointment is of what I've read is there's no mention of the other schools by name, and there's no recommendations of how to improve those other schools. My understanding back in June, when this was voted a resolution to have a high school task force, that the high school task force would make recommendations to you on how to improve the other high schools that are not low. So what I've read, there's no mention of any high schools. There's no, rec and, and, and of course, if there's no high schools listed, there's no recommendations on how to improve them. I, as an observation of disappointment, perhaps it can be rectified, but the, uh, it would be nice to be able to look at a page that says Thurgood Marshall. This is how you improve Thurgood Marshall. Sally Burton. This is how you improve Sally Burton. None of that's in, in the recommendation. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, good evening to the board. Uh, my name is Keen Chakwaneta. I'm with Jobs with Justice San Francisco. Uh, last week, we shared our priorities for the uh, upcoming bond with district staff and with you on the Board of Education and uh, about like what we would like to see in the bond. Uh, the priorities include things like air quality improvements to improve uh, healthy learning and working environments, on-site um, preparation of nutritious meals, affordable housing for staff, things like that. Uh, our hope is that you've taken the time uh, to actually read this letter as it the issues raised in it are um, issues that we feel that many in the community would uh, would support. And uh, I just wanted to let you all know we're going to be reaching out to you all this week uh, to schedule meetings to discuss these priorities in a little bit more detail. Um, also, just wanted to say that we have our next meeting with district staff on the 18th. Um, our hope is that we'll be able to have a robust discussion about these priorities and how they fit into the, the final bond that will be presented here next month. Um, and finally, I just wanted to say that our ask to you all is uh, that you urge district staff to respond to the priorities we've laid out in good faith so that we can chart a path forward together um, that leads to a bond program that uh, we can all get behind. Thank you. Thank you. Good evening, Commissioners. My name is Tracy Brieger. I'm with Jobs with Justice San Francisco also and here on behalf of a coalition of uh, unions and community groups um, wanting to address the school's bond. So from the pandemic and climate change raising very serious air quality issues to a backlog of deferred maintenance, it's abundantly clear that district facilities need significant investment and a clear plan to protect the health and safety of students, educators, and employees. A robust, right-sized, and accountable school bond is a unique and viable opportunity to help address all of these challenges. If the board follows district staff's current proposal to run about a $1 billion bond every five to eight years, it could currently take about 48 years to address the $6 billion backlog of deferred maintenance. So let's be clear, that takes about half a century to fix things that are broken today. Um, 
Also, it would take about 120 years to complete the at least $9 billion in critical HVAC, electrical, and other upgrades that are necessary to protect the health and safety of students and meet the district's goal of phasing out fossil fuel use by 2040. This is not a viable plan. Um, so we urge you to make a right-sized schools bond. Thank you. Thank you. All right, I'm calling the next group. Nick Chandler, Tori Talavera, Bernice Casey, Kathy from UCSF, um, and Reverend Amos Brown. We clearly need to invest in our schools. We clearly have urgent facilities needs. BVHM has fought to bring those to y'all's attention for the last three years. We've done that in community with y'all. We've done that by bringing folks in from the city, from neighborhood organizations, students, families, teachers here to let you know how urgent it is. We've done that collaboratively. We built a plan for a school that's beautiful. And it was 200 plus families, every student that goes to the school, and the plan's beautiful, and we love it. When it came to talk about phasing, what will happen to us while we build this beautiful building, we did not get collaboration. We did not get transparency. We did not get respect. If you continue to gatekeep the parts of this process that impact students and families, you don't suffer, we do. You may not continue to pass that cost onto my community. We will be here until you take our invitation to invite leadership from outside of SFUSD to solve this complicated but solvable problem. Please, I'm waiting for a call. Yes. Thank you. That was a hard act to follow. Um, I'm a parent from BBHM. I haven't spoken up at meetings because I keep telling myself that other people's issues are more important than ours, but my family matters and that's why I'm here today and I'm sure what I have to say represents a lot of families at BBHM. We chose this school for three reasons. One was that my child's great-grandmother, my grandmother, came to this school when she moved here from Oaxaca in the 1930s. So we have a legacy. The second reason was to minimize transition. And the third was because of the community. And this plan is dismantling two out of three of those things. Um, and so I, in order to not have one transition for our kid, we came to this school. Now we're going to have two uh, instead of zero. And that's only if we trust that the district actually has a plan that's going to allow us to come back. I feel like I haven't heard a straight answer to the question of whether we'll have the right to return. And I would like, as a parent, to request that in writing from the district. Thank you. Hi, my name is Bernice Casey. I'm a parent at Buena Vista Horseman. Um, I want to just talk a little bit about what Nick said, and then I have a statement for my fourth grader. So we as a community met um, with the district in May of 2023 with our six requests, demands, asks, whatever you want to call it. The district did not get back to us at all until six months later. So every time we come to this meeting, I hear you, I hear Dr. Wayne talk about this time is going to be different, we're going to trust. So that didn't happen. And then when they came to the meeting last uh, week, uh, you had district staff on their phones when people were trying to talk about emotional things for them, just their body language ignoring statements. So again, when you talk about trust, that's not happening. But now let's hear from the fourth grader. I don't want our community broke up because it will be harder for us to get there. And then if someone gets sick at that school and the nurse isn't there, it'll be harder for the parents to come all the way there to pick them up and come all the way back. 
Plus, it will waste a lot more fossil fuel than it would by just walking and riding our bikes. When I'm in sixth grade, I want to have a phone and walk to school with my friends. When my brother was at BVHM, he sometimes took me to school and picked me up. My friends have that now with their brothers and sisters. You cannot break us up. Thank you. I got it. Go ahead. Good evening, everyone. I'm a student pharmacist at, um, at UCSF School of Pharmacy, and so are my colleagues. Um, I just have a question that will hopefully be discussed in this meeting or future meetings, which is that do you have any accommodations in place to ensure education access and communication for students, faculty, and overall communities in the face of environmental barriers? Because last year's bomb cyclone is an example of, of an environmental event that needs to be accounted for in this case. Thank you. Thank you. All right, next group, John Zabala. Oh, I'm sorry. Good evening, Mr. Chairman and members of the board, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Amos Brown, president of the San Francisco branch of the NAACP. And again, I'm here to say there's too much vulgar, violent language being used by adults in this school district, particularly against African-American youngsters. And we need to get busy and bring it to a screeching halt. Number two, right across the street, my dear board members, I've been dealing with for now about half a year, we must get these homeless encampments away from the John Sweat School. Look at the book of Los Angeles. No encampments are permitted within 500 feet. If they could do it, we need to do it in San Francisco. Those children are challenged they already have issues, and we ought to do better to make sure that we talk to the powers that be and let them know that we are compassionate, but we must have responsible compassion and not reckless compassion to let people be out there in the condition they are right now. And I invite you to join me in the movement so that our children will be able to go to school and not have that unseemly sight that has no place in the city of St. Francis. Finally, again, the black community is saying, we need all hands on deck to deal with this underachievement of black students in the school district. It has gone on far too long. We are friends, we are not enemies, we want to be partners. And it's time, as Nike says, just do it and quit talking about it Stop having studies, but get up and Thank get you. to the point of making a solution. Thank you. So next group, John Zabala, Leslie Hu, and Cassandra Curiel. Uh, 
good evening. My name is John Zabala. I am president of United Teachers of Richmond, representing the certificated staff of West Contra Costa Unified. I'm here today to tell you a little bit about our community schools movement in West Contra Costa. Uh, I know I have a limited amount of time. I can tell you that this work came about through long years of partnership and, and, and difficulty. But uh, just last year, we were successfully able to negotiate community schools language included in our contract. There's a lot in there. I encourage you to look at this as a you know, model for you all. But at its heart is power sharing. Um, community schools allows communities to develop new narratives about who they are. In many ways, it's a lot of the work we've already been doing for years, but it's us sitting together at a table and saying, what is important to you and what is important to me and how do we get there together? I want to let you know that one of our committees that was formed was called, is called the Systems Change Collaborative, where we're working with mayors across cities, because we're five municipalities, towards goals that are uh, in partnership together. Uh, please take a look. Reach out if you need anything. Thank you. Ooh. Good evening. My name is Leslie Hu. I'm the Secretary and Community Schools Initiative Coach in, for United Educators of San Francisco. We're in a tough moment uh, in San Francisco right now. Um, we have an incredible moment, dare I say opportunity, to build real relationships with educators, critical school staff, a lot of which are here, families, students, um, and our community partners. We've already heard a little bit about how we haven't been able to do that work already from several of the public commenters. We can choose to not engage or we can, and sweep things under the rug, or we can actually have the hard and necessary conversations with our communities to improve the work that we can do for our students. You all received a letter from a wide range of education unions in California, including Los Angeles, San Diego, Richmond, and Oakland, amongst others, throughout California that have come to agreements with their districts that have similarly provided transparency to the community school work that aligns and ensures fidelity to the $50 million that San Francisco Unified has received. We hope that San Francisco Unified and USF can come together to ensure that we are keeping our promises to our students, families, and communities. First step is for US, SFUSD to take this work to coming to an agreement on community schools currently on the table. Thank you. Okay, good evening, everyone. Cassandra Coriel, President of United Educators of San Francisco. Um, uh, a few of the things on top. Um, obviously, the community schools letter that came in today was a representation of the fact that there are other districts, much larger in size, some smaller in size, some very similar size, that grappled with the same conditions that we're currently dealing with in order to come to an agreement to what works for us. And what we've proposed at our bargaining table around community schools is we think a step forward to the format and the space in which we can collaboratively work together to implement a successful model. We know that we need a systems change across the district on many levels, and this is uh, particularly one of them that can be rolled out, as we know, to over 40 sites that now qualify and the more that we hope to come. Um, another issue on top is the bond measure. Right? Um, our colleagues Tracy and Keen, who spoke earlier, and a number of us unions have been working together to try and elevate the major issues that we see because we work in the school sites, in the classrooms, at the various work sites, and with the onset of the opening of Shirley Chisholm, which is staff housing, 
and the prospect of many more, we have a lot of work to do to ensure that this district can implement a lot at one time. And that is possible when we're all on the same page. And we want to be partners in that work and that ensures that staff have direction around how to work with us. It's not an engagement, it's not, hey, did I participate, right? We get no grades for participation in my class. We work towards actual goals and make those needs met um, through working together and finding a way to make that work. And we can do that when we're discussing that at the table and ensuring that, the, that our staff Partners across the table have that direction as well. We need to know that we're working as equals to get everything that our students and our staffing need. And we need to fill up, what, 400 more housing units, right? So um, we're ready to start that work with you. Um, the last thing on top is our contract fight. You know that we want to come to an agreement. We want to make, make this work for everyone. We need equally a lot of work to be done on the other side to ensure that what we have to move forward is a non-strings-attached issue where we can come to an agreement where 6,500 of our members can manage to, to get through the end of our contract and weather through the challenges that this district has ahead of it. Right In the Empower update, we see clearly what's coming, we understand, we know that the work that's been happening, and we need to assure our 6,000 members that we can weather through that storm together because we have an assurance and confidence and security from all of our leadership on the board and at the district's level that we can do this because we've come to an agreement together. It's critical that we know that we're not just heard, but also understood and have partners to move forward. Thank you. Calling your next group, John Nepomuceno. Forgive me if I'm mispronouncing. I have two for you. And then Francis Lee. You can come to the podium, please. Good evening, board. It's good to see you all. So my name is John Nepomuceno, assistant principal of Balboa High School. And I'm here representing UASF. I want to first urge the district to settle negotiations with our family members at SEIU and UESF with all full care and expediency so we can all focus on educating our kiddos and serving them with peace of mind. In addition, I'll speak briefly about the uh, SWC bond, uh, which is being put together by district staff. Uh, a few folks have already spoken about it, but last week a coalition of SFUSD labor unions and community organizations shared our priorities with the district staff and with you on the Board of Education about what we would like to see in this bond. We hope that you all have taken the time to read them as the issues raised within like bond size, transparency, equity, and healthy learning environments are issues many on our community can get behind. And I can speak personally about my house at Balboa. Uh, Lord knows there's a lot that needs to be happening. Tomorrow, you we friends are gonna be descending upon my house uh, for a major vote. So um, let's, take, let's think about them as well and figure out what we can do to help them. All love to y'all. Thanks y'all. Hello, school superintendent, commissioners, and members. My name is Frances Ng Lee. I am an SEIU union member. My union represents valuable and hardworking clerks, custodians, and student nutrition workers. We represent you and SFUSD to serve our student, family, and the school communities. We have been working diligently without a labor contract for the past three plus years and during the pandemic. We need pay parity to our city counterpart who receive more than 20% over our pay rates. We cannot keep up with the high cost of living without taking on and working multiple jobs. Please support us by negotiating a good faith 
contract and allow us to continue to do our job without any stoppage or cause any inconvenience to our families and school community. Thank you. You know what the, your speaker comments? Is this good, Rafael? This is good. All right, right on. This is that we want a contract. We want it now. We don't get it. We will shut, shut it down. down. We don't get it. Provoke us. We will strike. 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 Yeah. 
we're gonna need to uh, continue our board meeting uh, at this time. Is there any way we can read uh, for the virtual public comment the announcement again? going to go ahead and move on to our virtual participation. We're gonna, if we, if we aren't able to have quiet, we're gonna have to recess the meeting. Right. We are going to take a, a five minute recess right now. We're going to take a five-minute recess. Can we please have that repeated in Spanish and Chinese for virtual participants? Again, five-minute recess. If we don't get it, shut it down. What do we want? When do we want it? TV, San Francisco Government Television.
delay in the meeting, but also thank everyone who came out to give public comment on non-agenda items in person. Uh, now we're going to transition to non-agenda item public comments virtually. Uh, as of now, we have nine hands. We'll have about 10 minutes uh, or so for a public comment. So again, we are transitioning into virtual public comment for non-agenda items. Each speaker will have one minute to speak. We see about nine hands at this time. We're dedicating uh, 10, uh, 10 minutes for our uh, virtual public comment. Each, each speaker will have one minute. Um, please be mindful of that so that, um, can we have that repeated in Spanish and Chinese? Thank you. Thank you. Aaron. Aaron Horn. Yes, hello. Um, my name is Aaron Horn from Parents for Public Schools of San Francisco. Uh, can you hear me? Yes, we can hear you. Thank you. Sorry about that last time um, when I was called. Um, I just wanted to speak on the um, issue of students who are not um, primarily English speakers and how, um, that, how isolating that could be for them, for the child um, and the parents. Uh, but also the frustration for the, the teachers and staff. I would really hope that we can, you know, I know you all are taking on a lot, and I, I appreciate that. Um, there's a lot of work to do in this, in this district, but I would just hope that we can put more focus on providing teachers who can help, who uh, speak the language, who can be a bridge for the students, because the students are often misjudged by oh, they're not speaking up in class, or they're not following the directions in the homework. They're not smart, they're not trying, when really it's just a, a barrier in their way. Um, it's just a simple fix of getting more language support and interpretation for them could um, really go a long way. Thank you for, thank you for um, listening. Thank you. Star child. Yes, can you hear me? Yes, we can hear you. Yes, uh, may I see the clock uh, displayed for my comments and then not start until I get the preliminaries uh, out of the way? I asked a question about this on uh, uh, the Q&A thing online but didn't see a response. Um, I, I hate suddenly running out of time uh, when you know I don't know how much time there is. Uh, having a, a clock displayed would be very helpful. I don't believe we have the ability to display a clock, but I definitely can give you 30-second and 10-second warnings as we get to the end of the minute just to kind of flag it for you. Thank 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 you.
Okay, thank you. Um, please uh, you go ahead and start the clock now then. Uh, my name is Sarchan, I'm the chair of the Libertarian Party of San Francisco. First thing I want to address is there was a comment uh, or announcement at the beginning of the meeting about us being on uh, Ohlone, uh, Ramatush Ohlone land, section uh, specifically the Yalamu tribe uh, that uh, lived in San Francisco. But I find this kind of announcement um, just really to be kind of like lip service and virtue signaling. I don't see any actual change or intent of the district policy to do anything substantive for the Ohlone people. And so it really raised the question, like, why are we doing this? You know, uh, You're at I the 30-second mark, just to give you a heads up. Uh, the, the Ohlone, for example, were camping on public land for centuries. They didn't have government. They didn't have government schools. Kids were, were raised in the community and learned that way. Yet today, you know, descendants of the Ohlone are subject to compulsory education laws, forcing them to be in school unless they ten second mark some kind of other uh, plan. Uh, you know, maybe they shouldn't be criminalized uh, for this. Maybe the school district should be asking them what to do instead of imposing something on them. Uh, regarding the striking, that uh, is your time, Star uh, Child. I'm so sorry I, to have I, to I cut you off. Thank you. Miss Marshall? Yes, uh, good evening. I'm going to forego the greeting. Um, I have several comments. The first one is that I joined Reverend Brown and the NAACP members who are on this call. We are so outraged by a middle school teacher who called a little sixth grade girl a very inappropriate word. The little girl had never heard this word before. She had to look up what it means. This teacher should be moved, removed from the school and the school district. Thank you, uh, President Bogus and Board members and Superintendent Wayne and all of the student delegates for moving other comment up to the beginning of the agenda as you had agreed to do some years ago. We want to congratulate our food service workers who serve more than 35,000 meals every day. You need to be reminded that some, many of these children, if it happened was not for the school meals, they will go hungry. Thank you. I am a little bit concerned about the uh, menu, but we'll talk about that later. I went to the meeting of the Loyal Admission Committee a week or so ago. I was outraged, and I walked into this room full of mostly Caucasian and Asian people. I had, there was a handful of African Americans there. I'm really sorry, Ms. Marshall. Thank you. Linda? Hi, can you hear me? Yes, we can hear you. I'm just really quick. I just want to remind all of our virtual participants, again, everyone is getting one minute to speak. So if um, you can try your best to stick to that one minute. Um, thank you so much. And then can we just have that repeated again in um, Spanish and Chinese? <sighs> Thank you so much. Thank you so much, Linda. Go ahead, please. Hi, uh, my name is Linda Lazunas, and I have a child at Buena Vista School. Um, I'm calling regarding the proposed uh, split of the school. Um, during construction, and uh, I just want to say I, I don't trust San Francisco USD. Uh, splitting the school seems like a way to chip away and divide our community. 
Uh, I think you have faith that you'll, that once you divide us, that you'll reconstitute the school as it was. And if you think I'm paranoid, then tell me why we never received our bond money in the first place. So I have right to be paranoid. Um, I don't know if you were waiting for us to atrophy and show up. Um, so you can close our school, or this is a new tactic, but uh, 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 those are my thoughts. And, um, you know, for the love of God, give those people the, the contract. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Tom? Hi. <clears throat> My wife and I are both uh, parents and special education teachers in the district. Um, I feel bad for the SEIU members that they had to go there. They're not being disruptive. They're trying to get respect from you, Dr. Wayne. As a parent, I was appalled by the two emails you said sent, one from the SAU and the other from the UESF. These are not fair. You're telling half-truths. You're not saying that the district has not uh, budged on the special education caseload numbers. You're trying to fool parents and trying to make teachers and, and school staff look greedy. I urge parents, families, to think about this more. We don't want a strings attached contract. Please treat people fair. Please treat them with respect so they stay and want to come back. Please visit our school, Dolores Huerta. Please visit, visit all schools, Dr. Wayne, not just the ones where you know you go because you get to take a nice photo walk. I'm tired of this. Thank you. Maria? Maria. Mi nombre es Alessandra, de segundo año de Diechen. Estoy muy triste y con mucho miedo porque me quieren separar de mis manos. Por favor, no nos separen. Gracias. Gracias. Can we please? Hi. Hi, my name is Alejandro, and I study at DDHM. And I'm here because I am very sad and I'm very scared because you want to separate me from my brother. Thank you. Thank you. Cheryl? Cheryl? Oh, oops. Good evening. My name is Cheryl Quarantan. I'm the youth advisor for the San Francisco branch of the NAACP. And I'm here tonight to talk about disproportionate suspension rate of black students in the San Francisco Unified School District. Black students, uh, achieving equity in education for black students is crucial and requires addressing these underlying causes. Some of the reasons for the disparity in the school suspension include implicit bias, zero tolerance policies, socioeconomic factors, and socioeconomic disparities that can impact students' behavior, lack of cultural relevant education, and lack of cultural relevant curriculum and teaching practices can disengage black students. Um, we need to work towards having a, um, we need to work towards having the suspension rate go down. 
I understand that they're supposed to be restored to justice in the schools, but that is not happening. I have two youth in my youth council that have already been suspended twice, and the school year is only six weeks in, and they're traumatized. One of them is a new high schooler in the ninth grade, and she's completely traumatized. And so I think there's some, this has to be addressed, this issue. Thank and I also want to say that I support the FCAU 10 to 1 members. Please give them a contract. Thank you, Cheryl. Vilma. Hello, good evening. Uh, my name is Vilma. I'm a community member, and I just um, I just wanted to um, share my support with the United Educators of San Francisco uh, and bringing shared governance to SF Unified um, as well as expanding community schools. Thank you. Thank you. Carmen? Hola, buenas, buenas tardes o buenas noches. Eh, mi nombre es Carmen Rodríguez, soy una madre líder de la Escuela Bonavista. Y mi comentario, mi petición para ustedes es que no se paren a los niños de la escuela. Piensen en, en todo el trauma que les van a causar el estar separados de sus hermanitos. Y Buenavista siempre ha sido una comunidad unida y queremos que así siga. Buenavista es del quinto del octavo. Hello, my name is Kevin Rodriguez, and um, so you not, uh, I'm sorry. <laughs> Hello, my name is Kevin Rodriguez, and I am a leader at BDHM. And so my comment goes towards about not separating the community. Uh, we just think about the trauma and the psychological issues that you're going to cause to our students. Uh, we are a very unified community, and we are a K through eight school. And so, please do not separate our students. Thank you. Thank you. Sarah? Hello, good evening, board. My name is Sarah Shepard. I um, teach second grade in Oakland. I'm a member of Oakland Education Association. And I just wanted to express my support for BBSF um, and San Francisco teachers in, in fighting for um, community schools and shared governance. I've been in school sites where there is wonderful communication throughout, um, and it's a really, really supportive community where really wonderful work can happen. And I've also been in sites where that's not happening at all, and it's very cycling. Um, so I really, really support um, the, the widespread adaptation of shared governance and community schools, um, because it really is better for students in, in order to serve the whole child. Thanks. Thank you. President Bogus, that is the 10-minute mark that you allotted for um, virtual public comment. We do still have um, some hands raised. Um, why don't we go ahead and, and take those last hands, and then uh, we'll transit. Okay. So I will call the names 
Is it okay to call the names of the hands that are currently up? And just so, okay. Um, I have Kiki, David, Vanessa, uh, Peraza, Yolanda, Kylie, Kampala, and Celie. You just see Laura and Charles. So the names I just called will be the last uh, 10 folks. Um, and then again, you have one minute to speak. And, and we'll, in public comment, we'll be closed by 8.05, I think, just to indicate that this will be the end for this, um, this round of public comment. Okay, so we will close public comment at 8.05. David, go ahead, please. David? I love Teachers Association. Our association, MTA, was one of the first in California to do the community schools article in our collective bargaining agreement with the district. And one of that agreement, uh, that article, is Community Schools District Steering Committee. It is difficult to commit to share. This is working, but it's greatly important to do so if San Francisco's have truly transformative community schools that deliver to students, families, and community what they deserve. UESF is asking for a commitment. They are asking for this board to partner with them, with students, parents, and communities. David? Um, you can go ahead. There's about 15 more seconds for you to continue with your comment. Oh, I, did you not hear my comment? I, I just read I just said no. Oh, oh you're, okay. Thank you so much. I'm sorry. I, I didn't realize you were done. Thank you. Vanessa? Vanessa? Thank you, Alicia. Good evening, everybody. My name is Vanessa. I'm the Executive Director of Parents for Public Schools of San Francisco. I'm really excited to hear that the U.S. Department of Education visited to see how awesome we're doing around green. So let's make sure that we also get more visits for academic achievement. Um, I'm re I guess I'm, I'm just trying to understand what effective partnerships mean to the district. Um, given a recent partnership with a political action committee, I'm really concerned about the ethics and how partnerships are being determined and how that intersects with the Brown and Green Act. So I look forward to hearing more from um, Superintendent Wayne about the defining terms related to that and to hopefully work towards an effective partnership. Take care. Thank you. Peraza or Peraza? Yes, can you hear me? Yes, we can hear you. Hi, uh, my name is Norma. I am a mother of uh, three current children at Buena Vista Horseman. Um, I just wanted to reach out and say, um, I hope you guys think of the decisions that you guys make in separating our community. It is very uh, painful for our children to even think about uh, being separated at all and even out of the mission. Um, 
I think there should be a better uh, thought in keeping the students together and think about what benefits the children in this point. And my second, or my first grade daughter wanted to say something. I really wanted to go to big school because kinder the first grade, because kinder the first grade, the bigger kids can be more bigger than us. Yeah, it, it might be traumatized children just being, sharing a school with high school kids. Thank you. Yolanda? Hello, can you hear me? Yes, we can hear you. I'm Yolanda Williams, I'm one of the Vice Presidents of the NAACP. Today I voice deep concern and protest of the recent changes in the board's meetings. It's disheartening to learn the opportunity for public comments, which used to be available at monthly meetings, has been reduced to just one meeting and limited to a mere one minute. This decision to stifle public discourse silences the voice of concerned residents and community members who are deeply invested in the education and well-being of our impressionable young students, particularly those from minority backgrounds. As a collective, we must recognize the importance of open dialogue and transparency when it comes to shaping the future of our educational system. By limiting public comments, you are effectively suppressing valuable input and diverse perspectives which could contribute to the growth and improvement of our schools. I implore this board to reconsider your decision and your duty to reinstate public comments for both meetings, allowing for sufficient time for meaningful discussion. Doing so will ensure the education system remains inclusive, equitable, responsible to all the needs of the students. Let us work together to foster an environment where every voice is heard, respected, and considered in the decision-making process. Our students deserve nothing less. Thank you. Thank you. Kyle? Hi, Kyle Weinberg, President of San Diego Education Association, Union Sibling of UESF and SCIU, and uh, representing more than 6,000 union educators. In San Diego, we've advocated for transformational community schools that provide services and support that fit each neighborhood's needs by empowering parents, community partners, students, educators, and administrators to problem solve collaboratively and help our highest needs schools become a hub for community action, power, and resources. In San Diego Unified and in partnership with district leadership, we've now enshrined shared decision-making in community schools into our contract. We know that shared decision-making is the foundational community school pillar that allows us to implement the rest of the community school pillars with fidelity. Without that guaranteed family, student, and staff voice in key school decisions, we're, we're leaving out those critical perspectives that we need to make better policies that bring equitable resources and practices to our highest need communities. I strongly urge San Francisco Unified to work like we have in San Diego with the district, unions, and community allies as equal partners to improve the community school strategy together. Thank you. Kampala? Uh, good evening, board. Uh, my name is Kampala Tate Ransford. I'm actually a graduate of Mathisker High School, which I believe now is the School of the Arts. I'm now the vice president of the Oakland Education Association. Um, Oakland teachers are standing with UASF's fight to expand community schools and bring about real shared governance um, that will bring families and students and educator voice into 
schools which ultimately will improve academic outcomes. Um, it is something that uh, clearly you've heard from several other uh, labor unions that came on uh, that we also in Oakland were able to achieve in our contract. Um, please settle this contract with full service community schools and shared governance. Thank you. Thank you. Cecily? Thank you. Cecily Meyer-Cruz, president of United Teachers Los Angeles, 37,000 members strong. Community schools are the truest antidote to privatization because it centers our babies and their families and the community with transformational change. The state of California recognizes that this community school model is the future of public education, and that's why they've invested $4.1 billion into this transformative model. We are asking you, this board, this district, to stand with UEFF in their quest for shared decision-making on the community school model. This model works in Los Angeles. It is enshrined in our contract. It is providing power and transformational change for our babies and the communities in which we serve. We want to thrive, not survive. It means that we have to become the collaborative partners in doing so. Thank you, Cicely. That is your time. Thank you. Laura? Hi, everyone. I'm um, I have two kids in the district. I am beyond moved by the support of, represent of the representatives statewide that are supporting our babies, our San Francisco babies. I'm here to echo shared decision making must be the way we lead. The community school model provides a wholesome framework that guides us to lead this transformative work. Please lead with courage and include this language in our work and contracts. Please listen to our unions and provide a fair and inclusive contract. Don't delay. Our babies are waiting. Thank you. Charles? Uh, um, to give context, the current SFUSD offered at SEIU will mean that the SFUSD employees will make the current city pay rate in two years. So why do we have a problem recruiting people? Well, the pay is horrible, and, and, and you only want to delay further pay improvements. There's a reason why we only have, a, you know, 75% of our QGR credentials. So please just pay them better, uh, find the money somewhere, or thank you. Thank you. President, we are at 8.05. There's still a couple of hands raised. 
think we're going to have to move on to our uh, the remainder of our in public our in person public comment on agenda items, and then I think we have public comment on agenda items virtually as well to finish up. So we'll we'll have to stop public comment on non agenda items now. I'm sorry for the folks who weren't able to provide public comment, and we'll go to the folks with cards in the room. Thank you. We have one for in person, Chanel Blackwell. Chanel. Testing. You guys hear me now? <laughs> uh, my name is Chanel, and um, my kids are grades 12 and 7, and I would like to bring attention to the grants and contracts. The board will approve multi-contracts and budget amendments. We are still waiting on a stronger process that connects these contracts to students' outcomes and our vision, values, and guardrails at a time when we are in uh, major budget and resources alignment. Ensuring a stronger process for contract management might be critical and overdue. Focus on the district team. Thank you. Thank you. That concludes in-person public comment on agenda items. Okay, we will now take a virtual public comments for items that are on the agenda. So again, um, these are speaking to items that are on the agenda. Each speaker will have one minute. Please raise your hand if you care to give public comment on any item that is on the agenda. Can we please have that repeated in Spanish and Chinese? Thank you. Star Child? Yes, Star Child, Chair of the Libertarian Party of San Francisco. Uh, in light of people being uh, silenced, not able to give uh, public comment uh, when the meeting time should be extended, I'd like to use the balance of my time for a minute of silence. That, that is not a comment on an agenda item, so. Kiki, I am sorry. It to is, it is not. Sorry, go ahead. Sorry, sorry to interrupt you. Is your comment on an agenda item? We are currently taking public comment on items that are on the agenda. Well, I think it, really have, it has to do with the um, with the uh, contract negotiations. Which is and not on the agenda. That, that's not yeah. an agenda item, so um, I do apologize. Okay. We're going to move and on. Then, and, and then uh, Thank you. Charles? Yeah, um, I just have a, a quick question uh, about the financial reports and the GAN limit. 
Um, I guess that's in the uh, actuals or the um, reports at the end of the meeting. So I just wanted to know if it had anything to do with a drop in the average daily attendance or ADA. So that's my, that's my comment. Thank you very much. Thank you. Vanessa? Yes, good evening. It's Vanessa again from Parents for Public Schools of San Francisco. I wanted to um, really congratulate um, the Community Advisory Committee, um, its members for stepping up. As a parent of two individuals with disabilities, one on the spectrum, I believe it's really important to have parents at the table. So thank you for stepping up to do that and counting on us for support. Um, and then lastly, we really wanted to congratulate Christina Wong, who is the special assistant of the superintendent, who has done a phenomenal job on the multi-learner achievement and success roadmap, um, where she's literally talked to almost everyone about their feedback. Um, I really appreciate that effective partnership and looking forward to collaborating with, with her again. Thank you. Thank you. Ismail. Good evening. Uh, I want to comment on the budget items. So my name is Ismail Arvindadi, and I'm the president of the Open Education Association today. And um, my message mostly is to the educators of San Francisco regarding the budget. Last year, we went on a seven-day strike because our district bargained unfairly around community schools. And my message to educators of San Francisco, if you don't get it, shut it down. We will be with you. We stand with you, and we will shut down the city. We will shut down Oakland if they don't put it into your contract. Thank you. It's like a CAC guest. Sorry, this is Hava Kelly, um, and I'm calling on behalf of the CAC, and I just wanted to congratulate the new CAC members, and just to let you know that I'm with you, even though I'm not there. And I also wanted to thank uh, Christina Wong as well for reaching out to the CAC Special Education Advisory Committee to work on the new multilingual policies. I'm really looking forward to um, seeing how that unfolds. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. That does conclude virtual comment, uh, virtual public comment for agenda items. Thank you so much. Um, and thank you to everyone who came out uh, in person or virtually to provide public comment. Uh, just to make the public aware, we're trying to find a balance of creating a space for the public to comment as well as a space for the board to get its work done at a reasonable time before people uh, run away from our meetings. Also, just want to make people aware that um, California state law does not allow for us to respond to public comment or engage in any kind of dialogue or conversation at this space, uh, knowing that 
that's kind of how the space has been used a lot. We're working to create some other spaces for both the board and the district to engage in meaningful conversations and dialogues about a lot of the issues that folks care about in the district. And so hopefully folks will be able to come out and participate in those um, events as they come. If you do have questions for the board or things that you're curious about, uh, please direct those in email to board staff or call the board office. Uh, the question and answer function on Zoom is not something that is meant to be used for question and answers. It's really for accessibility to ensure that all people in our school community can access the meetings. Uh, so your comments in there may not be um, responded to, just a thing to give a heads up uh, for folks who are asking questions about the board procedure or agenda items. Uh, and so with that, I will stop talking about public comment and we will transition to item H, which is our consent calendar. Can I have a motion and a second on the consent calendar? I'll move the consent calendar. Second. Thank you. Any items withdrawn or corrected? Superintendent? No. Okay, and with that, we have a roll call vote on the consent items, which can be found in the agenda. Thank you. Student Delegate Simpson? Yes. Thank you. Student Delegate Toe? Yes. Thank you. Commissioner Alexander? Yes. Commissioner Fisher? Yes. Commissioner Lamb? Yes. Commissioner Matamidi? Yes. Commissioner Sanchez? Vice President Wiseman Ward? Yes. President Bogus? Yes. Six eyes, thank you. Thank you so much. Um, and with that, we will transition to, transition to item I, which are our action items. We'll start with item one. Um, and we're going to be doing something a little bit different with the presentation. We're going to utilize the clock to kind of set a time limit for the presentation as we move things forward. No pressure, but just kind of letting folks know. Uh, thank you, President Bogus, and we are pleased to be presenting uh, our multilingual roadmap uh, to the board for approval. And so we'll get right down to it. And I want to welcome Christina Wong, a special assistant to the superintendent, who has been the lead on what has been really a collective effort uh, to develop an updated plan for our multilingual learners. Thank you, Superintendent Wayne. Good evening, commissioners and student delegates. Um, I am proud to present the new roadmap for multilingual learner achievement and success. Um, next slide. Today, we asked the board to consider and adopt the roadmap. Um, this is an assets-based approach to providing um, multilingual learner services and support, and it's been developed and informed by the experiences of our students, educators, and education partners. Just as a point of background, every school district in California is required to have an English learner plan approved by the school board. And so this plan, this roadmap, would actually replace our current English learner plan, which was developed under the Lao consent decree. 
so I think the biggest change is the change in terminology. So instead of using English learners, we will now use a more inclusive, acid-based and holistic term. And this is really inspired by our student fellows who helped design the multilingual learner roadmap. Uh, multilinguals, sorry, multilingual learners refers to students who are learning English as a new language while honoring, preserving, and developing the academic proficiency of students' home languages whenever available. Um, note, we will still use the term English learner for specific state and federal data requirements so that we are still in alignment. Um, just one uh, demographic data, over 52% of our SFUSD students speak a language other than English. 7.6% um, are, are IFEP, initial fluent English proficient. English learners make up 26.4%. Our reclassified students who have demonstrated proficiency are at 18.4%. And when, and when looking at our CDE um, data, we have over 60 languages or dialects represented. So this visual just gives you a, um, a depiction of our evolution of the San Francisco English Learner Plan. We actually have been under the Lao Consent Decree for over 45 years. That means we were under um, federal court supervision this sunset in 2019. And since then, we've continued to use the consent decree until hopefully this point in time when we um, hopefully will be able to move forward with a multilingual learner roadmap. It is to serve, uh, this roadmap will serve as guidance to educators on supporting and educating our diverse population of multilingual learners and their families, um, and at, at the same time, it's also aligned to state and federal legal requirements, um, which CDE monitors every other year. Wanted to share some of the um, multilingual roadmap development process. Um, this started um, almost immediately after we sunset the Lao Consent Decree in June of 2019. Uh, we had a EL plan leadership team that was made up of educators, district departments, DLAC, and other community organizations that serve um, our multilingual learners. We also had um, two semesters of, of working with English Learner Student Fellowships um, fellowship. One cohort were actually newcomer students, and then the other cohort were reclassified students. So it really gave us um, an idea of the journey that a lot of our multilingual learners um, go through. We also um, made presentations to our EL coordinators, and as well as the DLAC families. Um, they have been um, part of this throughout the entire process. After we had a draft in spring of 2023, we met with all of these organizations that have had some history in serving um, multilingual learners or has had a history in advocating on behalf of, of multilingual learners through the Lao Consent Decree. Um, they provide us with feedback. We incorporated a lot of the feedback. Some of the feedback actually will be very helpful as we develop regulations and protocols and guidelines. 
So just wanted to share a vision statement for multilingual learners. This actually is taken from the California roadmap, state roadmap for English learners. Um, so in addition to the district's vision, we also have for multilingual learners that includes attaining high levels of English proficiency, mastery of grade level standards, and opportunities to develop proficiency in multiple languages. And if the mission is also from the California Roadmap. Um, in addition to our district mission, we want to have schools affirm, welcome, respond to a diverse range of multilingual learner strengths, needs, and identities. Um, we hope that graduates leave SFUSD with the linguistic, academic, and social skills and competencies that require for college, career, civic participation in a global, diverse, and multilingual world. In summary, I um, wanted to share what's new and what's the same. So for a lot of the state and federal requirements, that will remain the same. We, we, that's something that we've had um, spent years developing systems and infrastructure to make sure that we are meeting um, the various state and federal requirements. So you can see from the Home Language Survey to LPAC, down to translation and interpretation services for families to the evaluation monitoring of the system of support that we have for multilingual learners. What's new? Um, it really is the framework of services and support for multilingual learners. It includes both the promising practices that we learned from years under the consent decree, as well as the local, state, and federal requirements. And it is approaching the work um, with an assets-based approach to supporting our multilingual learners and their families, and really recognizing their language and culture and creating a culturally responsive uh, learning environment for their students. Also something that was missing from the consent decree was this connection and alignment to our school plan for student achievement, as well as our local control and accountability plan. So as school sites are developing their SIPSAs, and as we as a district develop our LCAP, we wanna make sure that there are clear alignment around what our goals are and what our measures are for multilingual learners. This is just a visual of the six chapters that we have, but I'll just go into um, clusters of chapters. Thank you. Um, so for chapter two, this really speaks to the journey to multilingual proficiency from enrollment and identification of our students to the LPAC that they have to take. And as you can see, we I try to also include not only um, in, uh, multilingual learners, but also multilingual learners with IEPs. So for the LPEC, for example, um, students would take the standard, but then if their IEP um, indicates, they can also take the alternate LPEC. Um, same thing with the services based on EL typologies and IEPs. So services are also gonna be based on um, if they were a newcomer or a long-term EL, and also any of the linguistic goals that happen to be in an IEP. For reclassification, as a district, we've had a standard process and also an individualized process that we will continue. And at the end, for high school, is the seal of biliteracy. And those are students um, who have demonstrated proficiency in English as well as in a target language. 
Um, so before, I mean, the, the work that we've done with the roadmap actually came a little bit prior to the goals and guardrails, but as we move forward, we're always trying to align what the goals and guardrails, and, and particularly um, for the teaching and learning chapters that are in the roadmap, there is um, some clear alignment, especially for interim goals one and two. So in the chapters, chapters one, three, and four, that's where we have those particular chapters actually support um, the connection and implementation of students reaching um, interim goal for third grade literacy as well as eighth grade math. Uh, there are many guardrails that connect to the roadmap, but one in particular speaks to the ACCA-based approach, and that's guardrail three under curriculum and instruction. So the superintendent will not allow curriculum and instruction that is not rooted in excellence, challenging, engaging, student-centered, and culturally responsive and differentiated to meet the academic needs of students. And so again, it's, these are the th three main chapters that speak to this particular guardrail. For chapter five, this is centered around family and community engagement and connections, and so you can see in the center um, is translation and interpretation services for families. Um, the services that we continue to provide will remain as we move forward, but we also wanted to clarify the connection between ELAC and the SSC and also DLAC with LCAP. So those connections are um, clarified in this particular chapter. And chapter six is where the program evaluation, monitoring, and accountability happens. There are many different levels and layers of um, monitoring. The first one is looking at the data sets that we have for multilingual learners, uh, particularly around the English Learner Proficiency Indicator, LP, which is what the state requires us to look at, and it's um, critical. Every school site has access to their own um, LP data for their students and teachers are able to see the growth that they make year to year. And so um, from the central level, we wanna look, be able to look at that um, and be able to um, make any strategic um, changes. For the monitoring, implementation, and resource allocation, this is really trying to get into classrooms and being able to see is, our implement, is ELD happening? Do they have the right resources to be able to implement the services that we need? The last one is around monitoring multilingual learner requirements at the state and federal levels. We seem to be a favorite of CDE, so we are monitored every other year. Um, and so far for the last 15, 20 years, that's been the pattern, whether it's an online um, audit or an in-person audit. These are just some of the current, these are not exhaustive, but some of the current investments, they do not include existing school site allocations. But as we were looking at the investments and the roadmap, we're not anticipating any fiscal impact with the roadmap because a lot of the systems and structures and um, allocations that we have built in over the last, uh, well, yes, 15 years, 15 years are still remain in place. But this will give you an idea of our current investments. And lastly, um, the board is taking one step of the process, you know, by hopefully approving this board policy, the roadmap. But after this, just to let folks know that we will be developing regulations to provide more specific policy implementation requirements and then guidelines for our school sites. Um, 
in terms of all of the policies and regulations and how do we provide that specific direction to teachers and administrators. Um, I think that's the last slide. I do want to say before um, I take questions and discussion, this has been a really long journey with a wonderful team. Right behind. Here? Okay. <laughs> with a wonderful team, um, and they have all played um, an instrumental part in co being contributors to this um, particular roadmap, so I just wanted to acknowledge that. Thank you. I, I, I was turning on my microphone to do the same. I do want to appreciate the team effort and the work over several years, and, um, and uh, both uh, in the presentation, Christina shared where there's the connection to our goals and guardrails. One that wasn't highlighted is I think in this process, this process started before we talked about um, working with the community on major decisions, but I think the, uh, the work that they've done to proactively outreach to different groups um, and the feedback they've received on that is an example of what it means to engage our community when making decisions such as how we're going to proceed to better support our multi-language learners. Thank you so much for the presentation. Um, thank you so much to the team for all the hard work and the uh, attention to detail in pulling this together. I think now we will take comments from our commissioners and then we'll um, do the other parts. Okay. Um, we'll start with Commissioner Lamb and then we'll go Commissioner Fisher and we'll see if there's additional comments. Thank you to the team that uh, put this very important roadmap together. Um, Christina, I had a question. We spoke very briefly beforehand. Um, I understand that with the regulations and guidelines will be really kind of the, the depth of the implementation. Um, there was a board question that was submitted earlier um, before the meeting around how monitoring will occur um, in meeting our student outcome goals, either both for the district or um, through this roadmap. So I just wanted to have an um, ask, you know, when and how will SMART goals um, be integrated into the regulations or guidelines to ensure that, that we are making progress? Because I do understand that um, right now how we will measure ourselves around those three or four um, frameworks, um, but having those SMART goals I think will give the board a clear indicator of you know when we're on track, off track, or what it's going to take in order to meet um, the student outcomes for our, our multilingual learners. Um, yes, that's why I, I did mention um, the regulations and also the, the guidelines because um, in the past what we've done as a team, we, we do have an internal oversight committee and that continues to be remain in the roadmap and every year the internal oversight committee actually um, decides and prioritize what they're exactly going to look at and, um, and so I think that's going to be part of some of the implementation that will happen when the internal oversight committee comes together. Um, um, but creating SMART goals would be the first step. So to the superintendent, I think um, being able to integrate that into the monitoring for the board will also be um, important just to, as a refresher. I, I'm sure the staff knows this data, but for the public, when we did our monitoring workshop last um, month, you know, we have at least an indicator of our multilingual learners. Um, from 21-22 to 22-23, to 23, there was a decrease of 10 points, um, percentage points for um, our multilingual 
young learners. I know that is top of mind of how we can really uh, support our students in their progress, and this is related to the third grade um, proficiency. One other question is, what do you anticipate, I mean, the district SFUSD has been under the consent decree. We've been, um, you know, under federal state monitoring for decades. Um, what do you anticipate will be some of the most difficult or challenges as we continue to realize um, to this roadmap um, and for student learning and their outcomes? I think always um, in terms of consistency and implementation is always a, a factor. Um, that's why even in the, the Lao Consent Decree, there was always a, a requirement of constant ongoing professional development and awareness of what the requirements are. And so as we continue, that's I know that's a commitment that the team has to really make sure that our educators, our administrators are, are aware of what those requirements are um, because we have many transitions we have so it's not just a one and done kind of thing it's just this ongoing thing and providing the support um, that our that our educators need thank you very much I am super excited about this work and I have to apologize because I we aim to ask strategic questions but I think mine might be a little more technical um, so I apologize in advance for that. Um, but I just had a clarification on slide 10 and what I saw on page 24 and 25 of um, the manual um, in that I see what's the same is um, reclassification. Um, but when you go into page 24 and 25, it states that there is no opt out. And is that a change? I've actually sat with IEP meetings and teams at schools where because of a child's, the, the, the LPAC test has been the barrier to a child being reclassified. And so we have a form where students, I, I've actually filled out that form with school teams. So is, is, did that change somewhere or? So there isn't a waiver for the LPAC like there is a waiver for the SPAC. Um, but what you can do in the IEP is basically said, well, the LPAC may not be the appropriate assessment for the student. Um, but now, that, that was like maybe a couple of years ago, but now we have the alternate LPAC. So in the IEP, if they select alternate LPAC, then that's the appropriate assessment for that student. Um, for some students, they actually can do like the listening and speaking portion of the LPAC and then maybe they need support. So that can also happen too. So I don't know if that answers your question. Yeah, I mean, just going back to the equity issue there, we don't want a test to impact a student's ability to be reclassified, right? So just as right. long as we have, I, I'm just, again, this is overly technical and I apologize. No. Um, but the way this is written, I, I'm worried that it could be a barrier depending on how it's interpreted. There's also a section on individualized reclassification that okay. also looks at that too. So yeah, so I think Thank that you. might help balance the what you're seeing. Okay. Okay. Thank you very much. And then I think the other issue that we see, again, translation policy 5023. I was really excited to see that that referenced here. Um, and that specifically states that every effort will be made to translate documents ahead of time, like IEPs, the very technical assessments, and to, to Commissioner Lamb's point, every effort is not measurable. 
ahead of time is not measurable. And when you're talking about something like a psychoeducational report, that's a whole lot of technical information that a family has to read. And it's hard to get the English version ahead of going into a meeting, let alone a translated version. Um, so I'm wondering when we talk about measuring, is that the kind of thing that we'll be measuring as well? If we're referencing board policy 5023, like are we actually, I haven't attended an IEP meeting in SFUSD since January, um, other than my own kids, but I have never, ever, 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 sat in a meeting where a parent has been handed a translated version of their IEP or their psychoed report or anything. It always happens three or four weeks after the meeting, which is a barrier to meaningful parental participation, which is a parent's legal right. I think what we can do is to look at the data that we currently have and just build upon that. So um, that's something that Translation Interpretation Unit keeps very close um, track of. And if, if they, they're not tracking the right information, because I think we'll also, also have to know when the IEP meeting actually is, Bingo. and then kind of backwards map, we can build that system in. I think if we're gonna talk about meaningfully engaging with families, knowing when the documents are provided versus when the meeting is held is going to be really important. I have one, Commissioner Alexander, then I'll have one final comment. Um, thank you, yeah, thank you so much, uh, Christina and team, for this uh, incredible work. Uh, it's really in-depth and, um, yeah, just looking forward to seeing it uh, roll out. Um, my question was more around the context that our uh, newcomer students are facing right now, and I don't, this may be, this is outside the scope maybe of the report, but um, just curious if, if you have comments because, you know, we have so many um, newcomer families, there's been a huge uptake uh, in the last couple of years, I think, believe it's between 800 and 1,000 kids arriving every year, and many of them right now are unhoused, um, living on the streets, kids are sleeping in buses, public buses and vehicles. Um, it, all of our family shelters are full in the city. Um, the hotel voucher program that the city has is also full. And so, um, you know, and these are families, kid, kid, the families are seeking asylum in almost every case. And so, so kids have already been through a lot of trauma and now are experiencing trauma here in our city as they attempt to, you know, to even just have a roof over their head and food on the table. So I'm just curious, you know, how that is gonna impact these efforts, right, in terms of educating our kids. Like if they don't have stable housing and, and uh, food, um, it becomes really difficult to implement a plan like this. And so um, it, that's not necessarily our responsibility as a school district, and we're already hosting the uh, shelter at VVHM, which is phenomenal as, a, as an example of us partnering with the city on that. But I'm just curious if we have thoughts as staff about what you know, how that plays, how that reality on the ground right now plays, plays into this. Uh, thank you, that's a really great question. It's a reality check that we all have to um, face. We, we currently have um, RISE SF, which is our newcomer orientation um, and referral service. So these, um, the staff is actually based in the enrollment um, center and they provide um, on the spot services and referrals. And um, 
the social workers are very much connected to what's available in the community in terms of um, may, maybe not necessarily housing because that's very limited right now, but other services around um, food insecurity, um, community services, legal services, a lot of those types of services. Um, I think that this is something that we have to continue to partner with our um, community organizations that we work very closely with right now. Um, but it is something that we are very much aware of. Student delegate. I was just curious to what extent these resources or specific resources are going to be provided to educators to ensure they're properly supporting their multilingual students. That includes translation services for when they are in meetings where they require that on the day of the meeting, as well as anti-racism training to an extent to ensure that they aren't whether it's an English teacher docking down their student for misplacing a word, misplacing grammar rules, et cetera, or a language teacher, a teacher teaching, for example, Spanish, marking down a student for using slang as opposed to textbook Spanish. So training and resource for educators to ensure that doesn't happen. Is that part of this plan? Um, I, while my colleague Amy Goddisville comes up, we're, um, I can comment on the language services. So every school site has ac access to language line, which they can actually immediately call right there. Um, but if there is an IEP or another community a meeting that happens, then they do have to give adequate notice so that there's an in-person. But at the very least, they have language line that they can access for services. Hello, commissioners. Uh, my name is Amy Gottesfeld. I'm the supervisor in Multilingual Pathways. And in regards to training for teachers and educators of all grade levels, uh, we're working um, in a variety of contexts in order to ensure that teachers not only have the right uh, access to the instructional materials that are differentiated and support all levels of language proficiency, um, but also that there's professional development provided so that educators understand the best way to, to implement and use those materials, and most certainly maintaining a mindset, an assets-based mindset about students so that they see the strengths and the talents that their students come with. Um, and and that, that's going to take some work, some ongoing work, because you know, the work of shifting mindsets is um, a long-term project for all of us uh, and one we constantly have to weave into any professional development that we do about materials or strategies or pedagogy. Thank you. Um, my, my question maybe is more directed to the superintendent, but I think the appropriate staff, I guess, can, can answer. I, I guess I'm curious about what is our thought as a district of how we will fully implement this roadmap in a way that addresses some of the historical gaps that we've seen in achievement across different student populations, thinking about things that we're dealing with, like staffing shortages and kind of how we're pulling staff from all over to kind of fill voids, um, and as well as all the other things that are happening around like staffing and how we're restructuring some of those pieces. If you could just talk a little bit about how all of those things factor into mm -hmm 
the way um, students will see and experience this and how we won't fall into some other pitfalls we may be experienced in some of our previous plans um, as far as not having all students be equally successful and kind of trying to, to deal with those outcome gaps. Yeah, I think, <clears throat> I mean, I, in general, as we uh, continue to work towards our, particularly our goals for student outcomes, um, it's, you know, again, how is the, the, our strategies and initiatives continually aligned to those, um, you know, to those goals, right? So when we're talking then about our multilingual learners, we have this asset-based approach, but then when we're saying, you know, for literacy and we're working on foundational skills, what does that look like in, you know, our English-only classrooms and our biliteracy classrooms? So I think it's going to be uh, continuing to make sure that our, the strategies that we're working, putting in place to meet our goals are, um, you know, are taking into consideration the needs of our student population and our multi-language multi learners is an important population for whom uh, we need to take into account their needs. No, I appreciate hearing that. Thank you so much. Yeah, and I guess for me, it's ultimately, I think, having confidence in staff and their assessment that we are in a place to fully implement this roadmap as it's laid out and that we've aligned our resources to do that. Hearing from folks, it feels like we've done that. And I think as we check in periodically through this process, if that changes or if it seems that we've miscalculated, I think the board would definitely love to know that to figure out how we can allocate the appropriate resources to ensure that we're successful. I think I speak on behalf of all of us up here that this is a very urgent priority for us and that we really want to see this fully implemented in the way that we envisioned it so all of our students, families, and sites can be successful. And so if there's any issues or challenges with that, please um, let the superintendent know. Please come back to the board and let us figure out how we can um, find more resources to support what you're trying to do. Um, thank you so much for your presentation. Okay, and with that, we will go to our next um, action item, which we, is item two. We actually need to take a vote on this item. We do need to do that first. We, we, also, need to, we also need to move it and second it. Yeah. Can I have a motion and a second on this? I'll move it. Second. Thank you so much. Can we have a roll call vote, please? Yes, thank you. Uh, student Delegate Simpson? Yes. Student Delegate Toe? Commissioner Alexander? Yes. Commissioner Fisher? Yes. Commissioner Lamb? Yes. Commissioner Matamidi? Yes. Mr. Sanchez, Vice President Wiseman Ward? Yes. President Bogus? Yes. Six eyes. Thank you. Thank you for that. I'm very anxious to move forward. Um, my apologies. We will go to the second action item, and I will pass it to the superintendent to present the presenter. Thank you. This is another action item. Um, this is the presentation of our unaudited actuals. And so in the budget cycle for every year, we start uh, back in June of the previous year uh, with presenting our budget. So this year, we're talking actually about the 22-23 budget. So that was presented and approved for, uh, by the Board of Education in June of 2022. And then we have different reports we do for that budget. We do a first interim report, a second interim report. In June of 2023, we did an estimated actuals. This is thinking about uh, uh, estimating how much we spent for the year. And then um, this uh, report is the unaudited actuals. So this is then our closing of the books, would be what this is uh, 
uh, this report is, is how we're, we are determining uh, what we actually spent for the 22-23 school year uh, and what that leaves us in terms of our ending fund balance moving forward. Um, and so this does need to be presented and approved by the board. And then the final step for the 22-23 budget is uh, you'll receive an audited actuals that's done by an independent auditor to review our um, our review of closing the books and to reconcile any differences. So um, to present the unaudited actuals, I'd like to introduce our new uh, financial services officer, Jackie Chen. Press your, press your mic button. Thank you, Dr. Wen. Uh, good evening, Board of Commissioners and uh, community members and the student delegates. And tonight I'll present to you the unaudited actuals for the 22-23 year. Before I dive into the financial details, I'd like to take a moment and to express my thanks to my um, colleagues, Fiscal Services Department Manager Carter Chen, Rachel Chang, Business Services Executive Director Anne-Marie, Budgeting Department Director Emily and Jennifer, and all of the business division staffs who worked tirelessly over the past few months and to close out the fiscal year 22-23 year. Next slide. Um, fiscal year 22-23 year ended on June 30th in 2023. As the district and a county of education, we are required to submit the unaudited actuals by October 15th. With the board's approval tonight, we are on track and to meet the official submission deadline by October 15th. Next. Here is a high-level overview of the County Office of Education Fund. This table provides a side-by-side -side comparison between the 22-23 year unaudited actuals and the estimated actuals as of June 30th. This comparison covers the key points, elements of beginning fund balance, revenue, expenditures, and the net surplus or shortfall, which ultimately contributed to the ending fund balance. The ending fund balance for 22-23 year improved by 2.3 million in comparison to the estimated actual, which brings the ending fund balance to 8.9 million. Out of the 8.9 million ending fund balance, 4.2 million will be available for pending salary compensation cost. Overall, County of Education maintains a very healthy ending fund balance and also meets the minimal reserve requirements. Next. Um, let's now and shift our focus and to the district financials. Comparison between the audit actuals and uh, with the estimated actuals. The ending fund balance of the district has shown a positive improvement of 8.1 million, resulting in a total ending fund balance of $413 million. In the upcoming slides, we will dive into a more detailed analysis for the total revenues, total expenditures, and ending fund balances. Next. Compared to the estimated actuals, 
The unaudited actual of total revenue show a decrease of approximately 50 million in the recognized revenue. This decrease of the reported revenue is primarily due to the deferred federal and state funding that was not expanded or recognized in the fiscal year 22-23 year. These programs, including the one-time funding, such as the SR3 funding, 26.8 million, as well as the various other federal and state funding sources listed above, Title I, Title III, No Child Left Behind, Educator Effectiveness Grant, and a Strong Workforce Grant. Next. Compared to the estimated actuals, the unaudited actual expenditures were also decreased by approximately 60 million because of vacancies, attrition in personnel costs, and other materials and supplies. Next. Continue of previously and presented, this represented the components of both restricted and unrestricted district ending fund balance. The ending fund balance has improved by 8 million and compared with the estimated actual, which contributed to the total ending fund balance of 413 million. Within those ending fund balance, 2.1 million is unspendable, such as revolving cash store prepaid. 193 million are restricted ending fund balance, including federal, state, and local grants. 125 million committed ending fund balance, including stabilization plan to address the structural deficit spending. And of $6 million, other committed funding balance are assigned to the system implementation and rainy day reserves. 22.4 million represents for the required district reserve for economic uncertainty. There is an, another assigned ending fund balance of 70 million allocated to various purposes, including health welfare, workers' compensation, collective bargaining agreement, pending settlements, and a small amount of reserve to the address empower SF irregularities. Next. As highlighted as the previous slides and uh, 22-23 year ending fund balance has improved due to a combination of savings in salary expenditures and the uses of one-time money, federal and state funding to offset the operation expenditures. Looking ahead to our upcoming first interim report, we will be focusing on updating the beginning fund balance, incorporating any changes from the recent proposed labor agreements, adjusting for personnel and operating expenditures changes compared to the adopted budget, along with the updates for the federal, state, and the programs. Our ongoing analysis will also help us identify the trends from 22-23 year that could impact the current fiscal year 23-24 and shape our future budgeting <coughs> for the 24-25 year. The next reporting will be December 15th for the first interim report. Uh, thank you. If you can go back to the previous slide. Um, 
Uh, thank you, Ms. Chen. I just want to emphasize here um, what is noted around next steps. This report is really looking back at 2022-23. It's not uh, a plan for 23, 24, and beyond. Um, and uh, you can see the headline is we closed the books, um, and when closing the books, we have some more funding available than what we anticipated, and that has in part helped us be able to increase our offers to our labor partners. Uh, but as is noted um, here, that we are going to need to reflect that in our ongoing budget moving forward when we start to do our reporting for this year and beyond. And so while any of these additional funds and when we're looking at restricted funds, these are one-time funds that we're using, ultimately though we're going to need to have ongoing solutions to be able to provide the compensation we know our employees uh, uh, need and deserve. And so we're looking at you know, the ongoing expenses being, uh, you know, what we've already offered has been, uh, you know, $100 million of ongoing expenses. And so this closing of the books helps for, for uh, us to be able to do that in the short term. Long term, we've had, uh, and the board has given direction to have that resource alignment conversation as a district so we can make sure that we're uh, using our resources to support our staff who in the end are essential in order to meet our goals for student outcomes. And so uh, I just wanted to highlight that's what you'll start seeing now in future reports around the 23-24 budget and beyond. Thank you so much to staff for that presentation. Thank you for all the hard work and for uh, helping keep us uh, on point with our fiscal responsibilities. Uh, before we take any comments from commissioners, if I could get a motion a second at this time and then we'll go to uh, comments from commissioners. So moved. Second. Thank you so much. Uh, do we have comments, questions from our student delegates or commissioners? Seeing none, sure. seeing Commissioner Alexander to start us off. Um, thank you so much for the, these, uh, this report. And I really just wanted to especially appreciate the slides where, uh, with the explanations, which I know something that we had talked about of um, kind of breaking out when we had a difference uh, between the, um, the estimated actuals and the unaudited actuals, and then, and then kind of breaking down uh, like on slides five and six, you know, why is that happening? Uh, that's really, really helpful. Um, and so my question, and I don't know if, if this, if we haven't done an analysis of this yet, um, it's fine to defer this, but I thought I would ask because it stood out to me. Um, I wanted to ask about the classified salaries because that was a particular area that I remember during the budget conversation, a number of us raised and it came up, there was a blogger who wrote a, a post about it, about our dramatic increases in budgeting for classified salaries. And then it looked, and then it turns out that we actually didn't spend $33 million in salary and I imagine a great deal of the benefits as well was from classified. So I'm just curious, are those positions we expect back to fill? Um, are they in, you know, HR and business ops and places where we're, you know, still trying to fill them? Or, or what's the, what's, why, do we have an analysis yet of why there was that big variance? Partial of it are the vacancies, you know, we are having right now, and a partial of it are the um, unrecognized revenues of the deferred revenues, which are the federal and state programs. And we are planning to spending down those uh, programs, such as the SR3 and uh, $22 million, and we're going to planning to spending down over the years. 
So it's a combination. I don't have the percentage and the to uh, how how much percentage and the um, to the vacancy and the attrition, how much, but uh, um, we can look into there in more detail. Commissioner Matamidi. Yeah, just a, I guess a follow-up question to that is, and maybe it's more for the superintendent as we lead into the first interim in December 15th, how, how we're planning, particularly around the classified staffing line item. And then the, the question, so you can think about that, and then the question that I had for you, and um, thank you very much for the presentation, is um, I know the... Audit it, the auditor is going through 2021-22. Do we anticipate any changes uh, based upon that process and any findings out of that just that we should be prepared for, um, especially as we go into first interim? And then I'm also curious about um, how things are going with our new auditor since we have a new auditor and what the process is looking like there so we don't have continued delay with our um, with our books being completely closed. Back to your first question, the 21-22 year on audited actual and the, the uh, audited financial um, statements and uh, our previous auditor, I.D. Beatty, and we just uh, have assigned an engagement letter for them to come back again to look at all those findings and because we have, they haven't complete the audit and the complete, complete report. Right now, we have the disclaimer opinion, and we are going to take to the board at the next meeting. And then their work going to start from November 6th and from our previous auditor in ID Bailey. And hopefully, we can have the updates and before 22, 23 years as the audit, and I'm going to present to the board next year, January. Okay, so just so I get the timeline correct, so um, I Bailey expects to have the, their work completed before our November 14th meeting, and then the, um, the new engagement with the new auditor is beginning November 6th. Is that what I just heard? Yeah, let me clarify a little bit more. And 21-22 uh, um, year in the general, um, in um, in general, should be completed already and uh, by last year already, but uh, we haven't. And uh, we are extending um, this and uh, engagement with ID Bailey, and they are going to come back and to the field and to complete this report. Started in January six. Well, started in January. I'm sorry. Well, started in November six, and then we are aiming to completed and uh, before the 22-23 year, our new auditor, Christy White, because uh, those ending from the balance and uh, need to be aligned with each other with the two reports. Just more timeline <laughs> questions. Yeah. So the close, so when with this new engagement, with this second chapter, because I, I understand that we are delayed and have um, asked for extension from CDE, do we have a anticipated deadline of when we will see the, clo the complete audited 
final for 21-22, just because, I mean, just as a commissioner, I am um, wanting to understand any implications going forward from that work. So do we know when Ed Bailey will finish? So if they're starting November 6, do we have a deadline for when they will finish? We don't have a deadline and specifically when to finish, and, uh, but we are aiming to finish it before the 22-23 year audit, which will be end in January. Okay, so the 20, so the 22, right, because there is a timeline. We're bringing this to this meeting because by October 15th, the 20, the unaudited actuals need to be approved and audited actuals for every year are approved when? January. And by January 15th? Yes. Okay, so then our, so we want uh, the 21-22 audited actuals completed before the 22 23 audited actuals are completed because otherwise, yeah, so so then what I would say is I know we're re-engaging with Ed Bailey for whatever, you know, there were various challenges in completing that audit, but we, um, you know, we have been frustrated that it hasn't been completed as well. So what I'd ask is that we get a timeline from Ed Bailey, like say this is our timeline, and then if there's a concern, any concern about meeting that timeline, that we are informed of that at the beginning of the engagement rather than when we get to January and we're presenting the, the uh, you know, 22, 23 audited actuals. Yeah, thank you for elaborating that. I appreciate that. I. I also, I guess it would be helpful to understand categorically what the delays will be. As, as a board member, I, I, I don't understand what the delays are in that completion. It was supposed to be done in January. I, I'm nervous about seeing a first interim December 15th that doesn't have closed out books from the, that were supposed to be completed in January. And so, I guess the absence of that closure is if there could be um, a summary with the, as, as you go into an engagement with Aid Bailey November 6th, a summary of categorically what it is that is holding up their conclusion, their, their finishing up of this work and what potential, if any, exposure there is to the district. Does, does this? Yes, yeah. and uh, we have received a draft report you know, from ID Bailey already, and uh, they closed our book already with the findings. And uh, the redo coming back work and is going to address all of those findings, they addressed on the report. And we are going to take to the board for approval for the 21-22 auditor financials and in November board meeting. We have a draft already. It's uh, even though it's incomplete, but we have a draft already. If we can hold that line of question there, we'll come back to it. We're going to go to our student delegate. Um, because it is past nine, me and Megan do have to go, but I would like to advise, I don't know who this would fall on, but making a form of this that is more accessible in terms of, I haven't started my econ class yet, that's spring semester, but as a student, from a student perspective, this makes absolutely no sense to me. There are parts of it that are pretty straightforward, but I think to increase student engagement, it would make sense to give students something that they can engage with. Thank you. 
Thank you for those comments, and we will release our student delegates uh, at this time. And I think we will also call for, do you have more questions? Commissioner Fisher. Um, thank you for this. I uh, thank you, student delegate Simpson, by the way, for that. I think um, many of our other community members would echo what you just said. Um, I think my question, I, I'm surprised to see slide five, um, to see so many of our um, most restricted funds listed here. If there's one thing I've learned from our, well, hopefully I've learned many things from Dr. Clark and from Elliot Duchon and our um, FICMAT folks, but is that when we talk about resource alignment, we should spend our most restrictive funds first so we don't lose them, right? So when we get to the larger conversation about resource alignment and resource allocation, what are we doing to ensure that funds like these are spent first and that our, what we're seeing on this list should be our least restrictive funds, right? Um, and if I, my logic is wrong at all, please correct me because I'm new to this level of budgeting. We are planning for spending down all those ending fund balances, not ending fund, but all, all those deferred revenues in the next uh, a few years. Because like, uh, for instance, like a one-time money and SR3 has uh, the deadline and so spend in the next two years. And all of those funding, some of them are one-time, some of them are continuing in the uh, federal and state programs. And we have a plan to spending down before the, um, before the deadline. Okay, seeing no more, one more question. Um, there was the question to the superintendent that I had. I didn't know if you wanted to Yeah, you this was related to, to the classified um, vacancies, right? So I, I, two things. One is, as I shared, of course, and, and we heard this tonight, that uh, you know our SEIU, who are many of our classified employees, um, uh, and UESF classified, you know, but SEIU in particular has been without a contract for a while, and that's why we're eager to reach settlement. But the other area that has been uh, challenging with uh, particular classified employees are that classified employees are actually members of San Francisco Civil Service. And there are rules then that apply to the hiring process that um, uh, that I think we need to have a better understanding of to be able to move more expeditiously on filling positions for the district. And so uh, with our new Associate Superintendent of Human Resources, Amy Baer, I've connected her with the Director of Human Resources, and they're having ongoing meetings to truly understand the, the system so we could, um, we could do what we can to expedite the, that process. But I do know that that has been a factor in our not being able to fill positions is having to navigate the city process. And I say that without saying yet who's responsible for that or not just saying we need what I do know is we need as a system to understand that much better so we can make sure we're navigating it as effectively as possible and then just a final comment I would I would like to see that I, I don't recall seeing the Ed Bailey report um, the, so if that could be um, the next board meeting and uh, or, we are going to present or whatever and, that they prepared for the district is that sorry sorry thank you dr clark hi uh, just want to clarify about the um unaudited uh, not the, um, the audited actuals so and 
full disclosure, I wasn't with the district, you know, that year uh, that the audit was done. So earlier, so we did receive a draft copy of the audit report, and I'll be very honest with this board. There were a lot of pieces where information was missing. We did not give the auditors the information that they needed in order to finalize the report. And everybody here knows a lot of the things that have been happening within the business services department. And so we, we, we were at a crossroads, and that was do we look at, take the information that the auditor provided to us and accept it, which could potentially mean returning money back because we weren't able to provide information to validate and affirm the, the, the financials. We said no, we do not want to return money. We're asking the auditors to come back and finalize their audit. So that's why you have not seen the final report because we're still fighting to try to hold on to some of those dollars here in the district. And so if we give, if we, if we go forward and not do this, this extra layer of re-engagement, it could potentially mean millions of dollars being returned, you know, by the district. And that is, we, we don't want to go there. So we're not trying to hide the report. We're trying to get the auditors all the information that they need to give us an opinion. We're fine taking an audit finding, but we're not okay with the auditor saying, well, you just didn't give us enough, and we don't know if your stuff is right or wrong. And so that's, that's the crosswords that we're at now. As Ms. Chen said, we have asked the auditors to come back out. We are working to make sure that we can do our very best to give them the information. But just know that Jackie and I were not here, and so we're trying to make sure we get everything that they need. And so once that's done, again, the expectation will be that they will, you know, potentially revise their position. And then we can bring that information forward to the board. So on our end, we've kind of got two ex audits going concurrently, trying to close out and clean up 20... 21-22, and then we've already started the process for 22-23. And so it, it's, it's, it's a lot that we're trying to manage, but, but both of those lanes are moving, and we will absolutely bring you everything, but I, I would like to avoid a situation where we're bringing you a report and saying, oh, and by the way, we've got millions of dollars that we may potentially have to pay back in terms of state or federal, federal dollars. So hopefully that clarifies the question and just, just know that it is coming, more information is coming. That's exactly what I was looking for because I, I could feel <laughs> something, you know, I could smell something, but I, it, this is what, this is precisely what I was wanting to understand because part of it is understanding what the expo potential exposure is and then also what the reconstruction process looks like. I wasn't here either. so. Um, so thank you for that. That's really helpful going forward. Um, one thing I do hope that is part of the engagement, and I believe it is in the scope of work with the new auditor, um, previously we really, the, the audits that came forward to this board were, in my pretty um, compliance oriented as opposed to best practices, what can we do better, like the learnings of just how, how, how do these systems function. So I'm hoping as we work with the new auditor that um, not only will they be looking for material deficiencies, but they'll be looking for opportunities to help us be a stronger, more functioning district. Um, and so is, is that part of the 
kind of the relationship that's being built out or the approach to our new auditor relationship. And I'm sorry, I'm sorry we didn't have a chance to connect before this. I don't mean to um, put you on the spot. All those questions are are, are very good. And yeah. Uh, very good, and uh, we have been already talking with uh, our new auditors and uh, Christy White already. We met at uh, um, two weeks ago, and uh, they are they are very fully aware of our situation for the 21-22. And uh, what they are going to do is they are going to extend their um, example size and also address some of the beginning fund balance which related to the 21-22 year. And uh, I have confidence, you know, with the new auditor, and uh, we are going to strengthen our um, practice and uh, also listen to their um, opinions and uh, recommendations as well. Um, the only thing that I would add to that is um, during that process, during the, the process when we, you know, of course the goal is always to avoid audit findings. But, you know, audit findings are also a way to identify, you know, system issues. Um, and the auditors are really good about calling that out. What's also important is the, the management's response to those audit findings. It's like, here is the audit finding, and then here are the things that we as a district are going to do to correct it. So that corrective action plan is very important. Because this is a school district slash county office, we don't have the luxury of having a county office say, hey, let's make sure all those things are done. But we can also hold ourselves accountable by making sure that those um, corrective act actions are in place. And another step could be to come back and follow up with the board in terms of here's what we said we're going to do and here's where we are in terms of implementing those things. And that's something that could also be a part of an update to the board. We'll go to Commissioner Lamb next. Great. This is a great follow-up then. Um, because we're city and county, I mean, we're one school district and a, a county office of ed, Dr. Clark, do you have any sense of any recommendations or th maybe through the auditor around some of those clear kind of the role of the county office of ed versus the school district? Because we've talked about this now as, as stronger governance. Like, how do we um, really hold ourselves a bit more to hold ourselves more accountable or the functionalities of that those systems so I know that was addressed to dr. Clark but I'm saying uh, yes to and and we'll be coming because it's one of the areas in which we have asked uh, dr. Clark working with the education experts to provide an analysis and a response and so so there so you can share the timeline on that because I know you've been working on it you said we should be seeing some recommendations soon. Yes, yeah, so we have been working on that. Um, uh, we have, what we basically done was looked at, did a crosswalk between, you know, roles and responsibilities for a school district versus roles and responsibilities for a county office of education. And then we took it a step further to look at the seven single districts slash COEs to see where San Francisco may be in alignment with practices um, within those set, with those six um, uh, uh, um, organizations and where there's some outliers. That information is together. We're working to have the final executive summary put together. So I envision within about two weeks, I'll be able to present all of that information to the superintendent with some recommendations and some follow-up questions um, and clarification for it for next steps. So, so the work has been done. We're just putting the last few pieces on the report. And then Dr. Wayne, definitely if we need to bring it here or have some other conversation, we can, we can move forward. Okay, uh, calling for a roll call vote now, Mr. Steele. Thank you. 
Commissioner Alexander? Yes. Commissioner Fisher? Yes. Commissioner Lamb? Yes. Commissioner Matamidi? Yes. Commissioner Sanchez, Vice President Wiseman Ward? Yes. President Bogus? Yes. Six eyes. Thank you so much um, to all the staff and for the presenters. Um, and with that, we will transition to item J, which is the public hearing. Um, I call the public hearing on an approval of a resolution regarding the sufficiency of textbooks and instructional materials as required by Education Code 60119. Can I have a motion and a second for so this moved. item? Second. All right, thank you for that. Um, and now I will call on the superintendent to introduce the designee to read the recommendation to the record. Uh, thank you. This is our annual public hearing um, on uh, uh, sufficiency of instructional materials. So I'm going to turn it over to our assistant superintendent of curriculum and instruction, along with our executive director of content. Nice to see you all this evening. Good evening, Superintendent Wayne, President Bogus, and other members of the board. And again, this evening, I am reporting on the annual sufficient instructional materials hearing in accordance with the mandated Williams Act. So the question is often asked, what is the Williams Act? Williams versus the state of California was a class action suit filed in 2000 by SF students against the state of California and the California Department of Education for failure to provide public school students with equal access to instructional materials. The case was settled in 2004 and various laws were adopted to address the issue raised in the lawsuit. One of the laws adopted to ensure that public school students have equal access to instructional materials is Education Code 60119. This law requires school boards to hold an annual instructional materials hearing at the beginning of the school year to determine whether all students have sufficient, sufficient standards aligned textbooks or instructional materials in reading, language arts, mathematics, science, and history social studies. On July 24, 2023, the Williams Act survey was distributed to all elementary, middle, and high school students in SFUSD. And on September the 8th, 2023, all surveys were returned to the Office of Curriculum and Instruction. At this time, either all requested materials have been provided to schools or expected to have been delivered prior to the instructional materials hearing. So therefore, it be resolved that the Board of Education of the San Francisco Unified School District has determined that as of the instructional hearing held on October the 10th, 2023, each pupil in the San Francisco Unified School District has sufficient textbooks or instructional materials in mathematics, science, history, social studies, English language arts, including the English language development component of adopted programs. Be it further resolved that each pupil has a sufficient class of set, class set of textbooks or instructional materials in foreign language and health classes, and that the high schools have science laboratory equipment available related to the core science classes as indicated on the science survey. So this evening, we're asking the board to approve the resolution related specifically to equitable access to instructional materials in SFUSD. Thank so you. So if you have any questions. Thank you so much for that. Um, before we take any comments from board members, I think 
we don't have any public comment cards on this item. And I guess if we could make uh, a virtual announcement to see if we have any hands for public comment on the public hearing. Please raise your hand if you'd like to share a comment on the, uh, if you'd like to give a comment on the um, presentation we just, on the presentation we just heard. Um, can we please have that repeated in Spanish and Chinese? Spanish interpreter, please. I am so sorry. I got all cut up. Do you want me to repeat about public comments? Yes, please. We're, um, we've just public comment on the uh, public hearing, please. I'm sorry. Thank you. Thank you. Para aquellas personas que quieran hacer un comentario público sobre las opiniones públicas, por favor, levante su mano. Cada participante tiene un minuto para su comentario. Gracias. Thank you. Seeing one hand raised. Ms. Marshall? Ms. Marshall? Just a second. I thank you, Doctor, for this uh, great report. I am concerned about parents and making women's point. Uh, let's express some concerns about materials and computers and all that. So I think that I would I accept your reported face value. However, however, I think that especially young parents are very concerned whose children attend Baby Hunters Point. There were some young parents who went to look at the schools in Baby Hunters Point, and they were not happy with what they saw. The teacher was so energetic and wanted their children to enroll. However, when they went to the West Side schools, it was like night and day difference. So I'm hoping that, uh, I have not been to the baby school just near, but I will go. So I'm hoping that their concerns are not founded, most likely they are. Uh, I accept your report, but I think the district has to do a better job in making sure that baby's children have everything that West Side students have, and they absolutely do not. Thank you. Thank you. Vanessa? Hi, good evening. It's Vanessa from Parents of Public Schools of San Francisco. Thank you, Dr. Priestley, for, um, for this report. However, I don't see the data. I don't see the survey data that um, takes all of the count across the district. So perhaps you can upload that, or I can request that over public records. But I think it's important that we see the survey data. Thank you. Thank you. That does conclude virtual public comment for the public hearing.
thank you for that. Thank you for the public commenters for your comments. I'll thank you again to staff for presenting and all the hard work that you put in to come and bring this for us. Is there any comments or questions from commissioners before we vote on the item? Commissioner Fisher? Yeah, thank you for the work of surveying all the schools. It's uh, not an easy task, um, and I know you have a lot that you're doing. So thank you for this. And I think this work aligns so well with Guardrail 1, effective decision-making, Guardrail 3, curriculum and instruction, Guardrail 4, resource allocation, as was just alluded to, right? Um, and you mentioned that it sounds like we have a bit of a disconnect well, in my experience as a parent, too, I think one of my struggles as in seeing these Williams reports is they always seem to ha be pretty glowing, yet my experience for my kids at my schools tends to be completely different. Um, and I appreciate the, the mention of Chromebooks before because for some of our some of our kids, that is how curriculum is accessed now. So are we accounting for technology in our instructional materials when we put together these reports? Um, so that would be one question. Um, I mean, my high schoolers, neither one of them have brought home a textbook all year. Um, I think the majority of the material they're getting is online and not. Um, uh, and and I, I see we see donors choose online all the time where teachers are asking for supplemental material, things like that. So I'm just, I, I'm excited to see that there aren't any findings, but I always worry we talk about compliance versus co um, commitment. And it's one thing to check all the compliance boxes, but yet it's another to be committed to equity. And I don't, I'm, I'm not sure that this report captures the full experiences that our kids have. And the last comment, and then I'll stop. I see under elementary language arts and literacy development that elementary teachers grades TK through three received Heinemann's, Fontesen, Pinnell, Phonics, word study, and spelling to support the explicit instructions of phonics skills. Those are... F&P phonics doesn't teach all the foundational skills. We're still missing a lot if that's what we're using. So, and I know we've got pilot programs that are moving in other ways, but this seems to go against the work we're doing with goal number one in literacy. So it just seemed to be a little cognitive dissidence for me to see that here. And I hope we're not still spending, talking about resource allocation, I hope we're not still spending money on anything F&P. Anything F&P. Thank you. I was just, uh, I, you actually use as an example what I was going to just share with you. I, I, your point is well taken. I mean, this is a compliance exercise. We are required by law to show that we have sufficient materials. Sufficient materials doesn't necessarily speak to the quality of materials. So for, so you were, you just cited the example I was going to give that we've already stated publicly, actually both in literacy and math are, while we may have sufficient materials, they're not of the quality and meeting the expectation we have for where we need to go in order to meet our goals for student, uh, student outcomes. But that, that is, a, but we're still required to present this and these are the materials we have now. So they are sufficient in that sense, but totally hear you. Uh, in terms of where we need to go with our materials to, to reach our student outcomes. Thank you so much, Commissioner Fisher, on staff for your response. Uh, I think at this point I will call for, did we have this moved and seconded already? Yes. Okay, we'll call for a roll call vote. 
Thank you. Commissioner Alexander? Yes. Commissioner Fisher? Yes. Commissioner Lamb? Yes. Commissioner Matamidi? Yes. Mr. Sanchez, Vice President Wiseman Ward? Yes. President Bogus? Yes. Six eyes. Thank you so much. Uh, and with that, we will go to item K. Oh, with that, we the public hearing is over. Therefore, the board will go back to regular session at this time. It is 9.31 p.m. Uh, now we'll go to item K, board member reports. Seeing no reports or seeing a report from Commissioner Alexander on appointment? Uh, well, no, this is just an update on the ad hoc committee on ethics and uh, conflict of interest. I am pleased to report that um, our first meeting will be Thursday, November 2nd at 6 p.m. Um, and if board members um, who are not on the committee have particular issues they would like us to discuss, please um, send them my way and we can add them to the agenda. That first meeting we're going to basically um, compile our current policies and and look at them and see what issues come up and questions come up and then we uh, the plan is to have a second meeting probably in uh, December realistically where we would go into deeper discussion on the issues that uh, seem to require it so that's sort of the plan uh, for the committee I don't know if the other committee members want to add anything but we're excited Thank you so much for that exciting update as the, the board's work uh, to improve continues. Um, and with that, we will go to item L, um, adjournment. This meeting is adjourned at 9.32 p.m. TV. San Francisco Government Television.